recording live from the Black Lodge. It's me, the free will burning, head turning, ass kicking, machismo dripping, master podcasting mouthpiece of the Southeast. Brandon A. Lane bringing you a new edition of the Rants from the Black Lodge podcast. Since the dawn of the Splatter film, there have been many vying for the crown of uncontested horror supremacy. However, in the 1980s, there were two who stood heads and tails above the competition, carving out blood-soaked niches that were inevitably leading to the ultimate slasher showdown. Now, little did we know that slasher showdown would take nearly 20 years and millions of dollars in false starts to finally come to fruition. Place your bets, because tonight we're talking Freddy vs. Jason with an in-depth full retrospective. Uh, retrospective with an added bonus, because this month we have assembled an all-star panel of critics and personalities to share their views on the most anticipated slasher film of all time. Our first participant is no stranger to the Nightmare on Elm Street series, as he wrote the Freddy Krueger origin novel, Razor's Edge. We bring to you author Blake Best. Our second participant is the man of a thousand podcast and founder of ProjectLouder.net, my good friend, T.J. Bowser. Our third participant, well, he was born James Oster, but to his fans, he's more affectionately known as Jimmy O, columnist and critic for JoeBlow.com. Our fourth participant is a YouTube heavyweight pulling double duty on Cinemassacre and his excellent channel, Hack the Movies. I introduce to you, Tony Paluzzo. Our fifth participant requires no introduction, but absolutely deserves one. We have YouTube icon, Brad Jones, a.k.a. the Cinema Snob. Last, but certainly not least, we have our final participant from Shudder's Excellent, The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs, the love of my life, <laughs> Darcy, the male girl. I am overwhelmed with gratitude for everyone that is participating in this episode, and I hope all of you out there in the Rant Army are excited as well. So we're going to hear some messages from our sponsors. You'll hear from our panel of guests, and then we'll close out the night with a full Freddy vs. Jason retrospective. Stay tuned. It's going to be a good ride. <laughs> Come on down to Mask by Lance, premium Friday the 13th custom-made hockey mask, down there in Tennessee, by Lance McKinney. Find him on Facebook and Instagram over at Mask by Lance. Go order one now, boy! All right, Rant Army, welcome back. It's time for me to take a back seat, kick my feet up on the desk, and do something I rarely get to do. Enjoy the podcast along with you, the listening audience, as I give the floor to our esteemed group of critics who are going to be telling you their thoughts and feelings about 2003's Freddy vs. Jason. Now, I'll be back a little later on to wrap things up and explain to you how I got this incredible crew all together, the hooks and the crooks and the controversies. Not that they're that many. And then, of course, after we take some more commercial breaks, we'll be back for our retrospective for Freddy vs. Jason. Me and Fat Tony are going to talk Freddy vs. Jason to your ears bleed. But first, let's hear from somebody who you're going to enjoy hearing from the well-loved YouTube personality, my favorite critic on the internet, bar none, Brad Jones, the cinema snob. Take it away, Brad. Ah, uh, Freddy vs. Jason. Tons of rejected scripts, a decade of pre-production, and this was the best they had. 
It's a horror classic that shows that the entry with the biggest budget of two franchises can manage to have the worst special effects of either series. And I thought for sure we could trust a team that would make a Freddy vs. Jason and not cast Kane Hodder as Jason. But hey, the bed death was kind of cool, I guess. And what's up, everybody? It's TJ Bowser, founder of ProjectLouder.net and the host of all your favorite podcasts. So I was asked by Brandon Lane to give my thoughts and opinions on 2003's Freddy vs. Jason. And I mean, what's not to say that hasn't been already been said about this film? I mean, it's fucking crazy. I mean, I remember growing up in the early 2000s and just seeing all the promotional material for this film and it just getting me absolutely fucking hyped. And I think that the director, Ronnie Yu, did a really good job. I think Ken Kernzinger played a really good Jason. And of course, seeing Robert England reprise his role as Freddy was super cool. I, I like this film the whole way through. I think that, uh, you know, it's a bit campy at times and maybe it's a little dated and everything, but there's a nostalgia love for it that comes with a lot of films that I enjoy. So, I mean, it left a huge impact on me as a child, and that's kind of last its left lasting impression throughout life. But, I mean, this film is just so fun to watch. And then, of course, the final face-off at the end, I mean, it's super cool, accompanied by a killer fucking soundtrack. I mean, it's not the best in the franchise by any means, but it's definitely a fun entry. I mean, I like this film. I also like Jason Goes to Hell, but that's a conversation for a different time. But I think that this film needs to be appreciated on a different level and for different reasons than, let's say, Part 3 or Part 6 is. I think that this film is this own type of special, this early 2000s entry that's this grotesque, over-the-top, fucking awesome film, and it, it needs to be appreciated. And I don't think a lot of people appreciate it enough. So if... You have the chance. Go back, watch this film, and enjoy everything that is Freddy vs. Jason. TJ Bowser, signing up. Hey guys, Tony from Hack the Movies here, and uh, here are my thoughts on Freddy vs. Jason. I like this film. I like it a lot. Uh, I thought it was a good pairing of both characters. Uh, a lot of times, versus films are kind of messy, and uh, they have to come up with a really good reason for two characters to get together, and... More times than not, they don't come up with a good reason. Uh, but no, Freddy vs. Jason, I thought it was a really good pairing. I think it's one of the better Freddy or Jason movies. It's more of a Freddy movie, though. And I think that's because it was by like New Line. New Line had only done two Jason movies, but they've done all the Freddy movies. So if you're a Jason fan, you're probably a little let down by this one. Uh, but no, overall, I thought it's a solid film. I've always enjoyed it. I like uh, It gives you kind of what you want. Uh, you get multiple fights, one with Freddy having the upper hand, one with Jason having the upper hand. Uh, it has that annoying cop-out where it's kind of ambiguous who won, but I kind of expect that in these movies. But yeah, I think it's a solid film for this genre. Better than Alien vs. Predator, so we can, we can all agree on that, I hope. This is Blake Best, author of the Freddy Krueger origin novel Razor's Edge, and co-author of Behind the Screams, The Dream Masters Revealed. Freddy vs. Jason. That film has certainly been the subject of discussion for years and years and years. So beginning when Kane Hodder took over the role of Jason in 1988, that's when the rumor mill really came alive with the stories of, oh, there's going to be a meeting between Freddy and Jason. There's going to be this ultimate showdown, this ultimate battle between these two evil characters. I mean, I remember reading about it 
in the mid-90s, Wizard, A Guide to Comics, which was a magazine that I read, and that was really an unlikely source. I didn't expect to read about that in, in that magazine, but probably 1995, 1996. As far as the film itself goes, it was a good film. Uh, it really gave fans the meeting of these two characters that they hope for. You know, obviously, Freddy is the proverbial wisecracking monster, and uh, Jason is this unstoppable, silent force of of nature that's just brutal at every turn. So there were two completely polar opposite characters. But I think that it worked for the film. I really do. Um, there were some sequences that were a little bit outlandish. Certainly, uh, you could see some of the computer-generated imagery at work in the film, but I really think that added to, well, uh, if you think about it, Freddy's manipulation of the dreamscape. When you're in dreams... The sky's, you know, the limit, and there's really no rules there. Certainly, Freddy vs. Jason was a film that did not take itself too seriously. I'm happy to be able to, to be a part of this retrospective, and I'm glad that um, the film's going to be covered. Certainly, I think it needs to be. If you'd like to find me, uh, I do have some events coming up, especially in relation to Night Run Elm Street. Con that's coming up that's called Corn Wing Con. That's taking place November 6th through the 8th. There's no admission fee. I'm going to be doing panels and book signings and, and talking about the scores and things that I write. And I'll be there all three days. Uh, all you have to do is go to facebook.com forward slash cornwingcon. And then you'll be able to check out those links there. If you'd like to order any of the books, whether they're the e-books or the paperback books, all you have to do is visit www.blakebestauthor.wixsite.com forward slash blakebesthorror forward slash books. And uh, you'll be able to check out all that stuff there. I look forward to talking with all of you. And once again, Freddy vs. Jason. It was really, really a good film, and I'm glad it's it's being covered. Hey, guys. Jimmy O here from Joe Blow and Arrow in the Head and, of course, Vinny Spaces Sound Scary. Uh, the fine folks over at Rants from the Black Lodge asked me to talk about a movie that, you know, holds a special place in my heart. Look, I love the Friday the 13th series, and to a lesser extent, I love the Nightmare on Elm Street series. But for some reason, the Friday the 13th franchise just holds a really special place in my heart. Super gory, super fun, super weird, super silly, super cheesy. Now, the idea of seeing both of those together, Freddy versus Jason, was something everybody was excited about. Every single slasher fan was, like, thrilled. And they finally did it. Uh, how do we feel about it years after its release? Well, I still love the movie. Now, I just got the new Friday the 13th uh, box set, and, and I, I revisited Freddy vs. Jason. It's been a bit since I've sat through that one. Uh, it holds up rather well. In fact, I think it holds up better than I remember. I remember seeing the film the first time and being slightly disappointed, feeling it was a bit, a bit convoluted and, and a bit silly at times. And yeah, it still is. But there's so many great moments. The, the, the uh, party scene in the, in the, in the wheat field is, is one that still holds up and it's just a really cool and beautiful sequence. And, uh, of course, it has probably the best, one of the best deaths in the entire franchise for both of the franchise. Uh, the scene in the bed that the, the douchebag who, who basically gets what he deserves, and that's, that's 
a miracle in film, and you're cheering that one on. It's a great moment. I don't know. Ultimately, this is a really fun movie, and I think it 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 takes elements of both Nightmare and both Friday the Thirteenth, and it's a really satisfyingly fun, goofy film. It felt a little too polished at times. It felt you know because you went from these low budget movies to this big budget ah, action adventure thing with you know, Jason flying around like a pinball machine, but it still works, and it's still a lot of fun. I actually really love this movie. I don't know if I'd call it a favorite in the whole Friday the 13th canon. I prefer the smaller, more personal films, uh, where Jason doesn't seem as larger, larger than life than he does in the later films. But I still love this movie, and I, I think uh, Ronnie Yu did a, a tremendous job of bringing these two icons together for one big battle, even if, well, who really won? I don't know. I mean, you know, did either of them really win? Maybe it was a draw, but uh, it's definitely an awesome flick, and I'm, I'm glad that we're still talking about it. I'm glad that, uh, you know, it's still around to entertain. Cheers. <laughs> Freddy vs. Jason is a concept that transcends quality. It could have been a complete crime against all the letter cinema, and we would probably still love it because we love Freddy and Jason so much. But as it turns out, it's not. It actually manages to be a pretty great film on top of giving us the fan service that we were all craving. It respects the legacies of both monsters while still being an entertaining film all on its own. There's a great deal of imagination on display and some truly impressive set pieces. The cinematography is absolutely gorgeous, which it so didn't have to be. Plus, there's some really memorable kills in there. Sure, Freddy vs. Jason isn't the kind of movie that the Academy might deem a masterpiece, but it's fun as hell, and that's what really matters in my book. Four stars. Darcy says check it out. I am constantly blown away by this podcast ability to throw the rod and reel into the sea of celebrity and bag a huge whale every single month, which leads me to the most asked question of this podcast history. How do I get these people to appear? The simple question well, actually, it's more complex than that, but I'll try and make it as simple as possible. Well, let's go down the line. First of all, TJ Bowser, he's a good friend of mine, and for lack of a better word, he's my boss. He's the founder of ProjectLouder.net, the podcast hosting site that I am a part of. Our network is growing day in and day out, and it's helped our podcast reach new listeners, so I am forever in your debt please check out the very many podcasts available on projectlouder.net. As for Blake Best, he co-authored my good buddy Mick Strawn's book about the making of A Nightmare on Street 4, so he lives right down the road, so I've got him in my back pocket. Thank you so much, Blake, for participating. Jimmy O, James Oster, he participated in our Halloween 2018 episode. He gave his thoughts on that, and he talked about you know the relationship between Laurie and Michael. It was just great, great stuff. So Jimmy and I are Facebook friends. We chit chat back and forth, and you know, it's like we're going to like barbecues or anything. Not that I'm taking that off the table, Jimmy. If you're ever in Tennessee, I got you, man. I got you. Um, but you know, 
Facebook friends, and which leads me to the other facet of this podcast in my ability to reach people, which is very new, and that being Twitter. Uh, for the longest time, Stink Dick Eddie, who you will know from the podcast, has been the one running the Twitter, and I have taken it over in the past few months, and I came to the realization, like, holy fuck, you can message people directly on Twitter. Not, not everybody, but a good deal of people. So I reached out to Tony from Hack the Movies, and I can't thank him enough because uh, he, he responded pretty much immediately and was like, you know what, I mean, I'll see what I can do. This is a busy month because they're preparing for, uh, they did Hack of the Living Dead, which if you guys haven't checked it out, it was hilarious. I loved I loved the Kieran uh, cameo and the Justin Silverman. This is good stuff. Um, but uh, he, we kind of talked back and forth, and I mentioned that I had done an episode with Jack Shoulder of Nightmare on Elm Street 2. And he's like, oh, dude, I'm going to do uh, Wishmaster 2. And I'm like, you know what? I can probably hook you up with that. So uh, I have them in contact now. So hint, 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 hint. Tony, if you do get Jack on the podcast, or your, your show, rather, Hack the Movies, please treat him with dignity. I know you want to rip into Wishmaster 2, but you know he made some good movies, too. So, you know, be even-handed. He's, he's a good sport, but, you know, don't go too hard on him. And it would be also very, very, very nice, hint, 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 if you were to maybe let them know uh, where you got the hookup from to give us a little bit of more clout online, because our, our Twitter is... Uh, is not doing so well, but we're doing great in the Facebook group. Uh, which leads us to the next one. So Brad Jones, the cinema snob, one of my all-time favorite critics. Well, so how our connection began is, uh, I think it was like maybe November or December of last year, he released a Friday 13th episode reviewing a fan film that took place around Christmas time and in the snow. So I guess in trying to find uh, artwork, he found a piece of artwork that I had made for Friday 13th films fuck about like a decade ago and it was it was just mind-blowing i'm like oh my god the cinema snob used a piece of my artwork so i had stank dick eddie who was running the twitter at the time send him you know like a, a tweet and saying hey that's that's our artwork and uh, I, I don't know if brad was like oh i'll follow you so you don't make me take it down which was never on the table i was incredibly honored that he would use and acknowledge you know the creator quote-unquote of that piece of art but it was just a cool thing so he started following the podcast and uh i come to realize after taking the twitter over like wait a minute i can direct message him i did he got back to me immediately and it was just very matter of the fact like yeah i'll do it you know no spring uh, strings attached he just wanted to participate and i can't thank you enough brad the audio was great um, uh, your sentiment is probably a little closer to mine um uh, and i know we're gonna get a uh, a little deeper with that as we continue on with the retrospective that's coming up. But, you know, I still like the movie. Uh, spoiler alert. Uh, our final participant, Darcy, the male girl. Oh, be still, my beating heart. One of the most beautiful women on the planet. Actually, you know what? No, fuck that. One of the coolest women on the planet. And um, I've had a, a rough go in the past few years. I talked about this a little bit in the... Uh, hatchet episode that's available back in uh, juicykrieger.com on our archives but you know this podcast was birthed out of the uh, notion that i needed to basically learn how to learn to talk again uh, i had a really bad head injury and i was watching uh the the last drive-in and they did an episode uh, for christmas time and darcy told this story about how she had had a horrible rough go with her ex-husband and it just it hit me at the right time because I was at a really low point. 
And um, even this is past, I mean, full on into doing the, the podcast, but, you know, just just kind of like, you know, is this worth continuing? And it gave me kind of like hope. It was hope that I needed. And uh, I regaled her with this story after the fact. I didn't I didn't lead off with like, you know, the hardship and please, please, puppy dog eyes participate. And uh, we we kind of exchanged stories and. And uh, I'm a big fan of her podcast now, which I didn't know previously, so please go check out her podcast at kinkyhorror.com. Uh, also some really great stuff on there, and I just, I, I can't thank you enough, Darcy. You you are the coolest woman on the planet, not named Elvira, but you know what? After your participation with this podcast, I think you may have actually knocked, knocked her out of my number one spot so please, please, please check out everybody that has been a participant with this. Um, they, they're all great. I'll link their uh, stuff down in the comments and the description below. So when we come back, we're going to be talking all things Freddy vs. Jason. But first, here's some messages from our sponsors. Next Generation Wrestling brings some of the most talked about and star-studded professional wrestlers from around the world. Based out of East Tennessee, NGW is becoming one of the most sought-after independent wrestling promotions in the past four years. Witness NGW Live or on demand on the High Spots Wrestling Network streaming app. Follow us on social media platforms at NextGenTN. From Crystal Lake, New Jersey to Springwood, Ohio, tonight's movie is going to take us down the blood-spattered streets of Memory Lane all the way back to the year 2003, where two horror heavyweights would go 13 unlucky rounds with one another in a gory attempt to claim the championship of the world of slasher superiority. That film, of course, is the Slash of the Titans, proudly known as Freddy vs. Jason. I'm your host, Brandon A. Lane, and tonight I'm not dreaming in the boiler room alone. Making his valiant return to the Black Lodge, you know him, you love him. He's the Zardos to my eraser head, the alcoholic mastodon, Fat Tony. Hello, and glad to be back. I'm uh, here to defend movies that need defending and not just shit on them like I've seen too much here since my... Departure from the Black Lodge. Yes, yes. It, it has come to our attention that perhaps we were a little too hard on our last month's episode of Rob Zombie's Halloween, but I stand by what I said, and you even had to agree with a lot I'm, of the points I made. I'm not disagreeing, but you're, disc, I, my major problem with it was your kill count scores. Because, oh, I don't like this, so it's a lower score, even though it's a great kill. Well, get used to it, because that's going to be some of the kills tonight. <laughs> oh, I've got I've got two tens. Oh, I I think we may be on the same page, though. Okay, well, well, we'll we usually find out. are. So, we're going to be talking about Freddy vs. Jason tonight, a much long-awaited film uh, of my childhood. I, and I could say probably number two most-awaited film and this came to fruition right after I graduated high school, and you were out of high I've school. I've been for out of year. high school four years, um, and we'll talk about you know when we first saw it a little later on. But let's just hit the ground running. Freddy vs. Jason was released August fifteenth, two thousand three, <sighs> on an estimated budget of thirty million dollars. Right off the bat, take that into account: thirty million dollars. That is way more than they ever spent on either one of the franchises individually. Probably any two of them combined. Uh, probably. Uh, you're probably right. Um, and especially when you take into 
consideration of inflation and stuff, you know, oh, from yeah. the 80s to, to then, like, oh my God, the, uh, the, the gap between monetary uh, value they placed on the series. And, oh, yeah. But by 2003, uh, they were the modern Universal Monsters. Absolutely. You know, I mean, they're, they're still fresh in everybody's mind, but I, I have to say I wish this movie had been made in the 80s, but would it have been better? I, I don't know. Uh, the opening box office weekend, $36,400,000. That's... Pretty good. Um, they got for, some of my money. I went opening weekend twice. I think you and I are going to be about on the same page of how many times <laughs> yeah. we saw this in theaters. Um, domestic box office, uh, just overall for the United States, was $82,622,655 barn burner, but not as big as it was worldwide, $116,632,628, and that's not even taken into account the uh, home video sales, and this is still when VHS oh, yeah. was available. Actually, the final VHS I ever purchased was Freddy vs. Jason. I bought it on VHS and DVD the exact same day because oh, I, I had to have it on both fucking uh, you know, formats. formats. I'm not obsessive. I just got on DVD because, you know, uh, all the great bonus features and shit you had. On the DVD. You know, people talk shit a lot about the uh, New Line era of the Friday movies, but I give them a lot of credit because they always pack those DVDs full of extra yeah. special features. Um, IMDb has Freddy vs. Jason ranked at a 5.7 out of 10. How do you feel about that? Uh, uh, being a major thing, I honestly... It's not my personal score, but I get that. That seems about where it should be in mass. I, I, I think... That is probably about where I would put it. Probably a little higher. I'd probably put it maybe like a 6.2, 6.3. But yeah. that's right on the line. For normies, that's probably yeah. a pretty uh, pretty accurate score. Rotten Tomatoes, however, has it at a 41% rotten. And just so we're crystal clear... Oh, I just uh, we just got an email alert that James Oster sent in his uh, his audio. Thank you, James. That's great. <laughs> um, so you'll be hearing that probably uh, either later on or before this uh, podcast. Um, but forty one percent rotten, but forty one percent for a Freddy or Jason movie it's that isn't pretty like, good. Like one of like the Freddy, uh, the first Nightmare on Elm Street, or, or maybe like, uh, three New or New, New Nightmare. Nightmare. Um, uh, the first Friday Thirteenth and Part Six, they're all they're all yeah. Pretty critics low. did kind of like that a little better, you know, the more tongue in cheek zombie Jason, which it's probably my third or second favorite. Well, Friday. Well, well that's an entirely different. Yeah, that's argument. a three hour debate, and we need to be a lot drunker for that. Um, the audience score, however, was a little higher at 50%, so it kind of split the audience, and I think that has a little bit more to do with like where your allegiances lie. You know, Are you a Freddy guy or are you a Jason guy? And we're going to save our uh, the argument for who won in the end of this film, because we actually got a really nice uh, fan-submitted question about that, but uh, I do think that the Freddy fans were probably not satisfied because Jason does all the killing, and Jason's fans were probably one of not my happy because it takes away all the the fun of being in the camp. And yeah, my big problem with the movie was you know Freddy's kill count is mm-mm. well. We'll definitely discuss it at large as we continue on. Uh, Metacritic has the uh, Freddy versus Jason at thirty seven out of a hundred. Even I find that a little low. Come on, Metacritic, you can do better than that. But where do you think our Google users... Come on, Google. Give me an 80. A 75 to 80 range. 
91%. Yes, they come through again. Because that's the, that's the that's the common man. It's no, not those rich liberal elitists. <laughs> just like not to not to discredit any of the previous ratings, but we're debuting a new segment here on the podcast, and we're hopefully going to continue doing this as we continue on with the subsequent episodes. Um, but I wanted to put it up to our listening audience, the the people in our Facebook group. So we have a brand new segment called Rant Army Review, and I put up a poll simply: Freddy versus Jason, good. Freddy versus Jason, bad. Do you have any idea what our Rant Army uh, chose? I'm going to say it's going to lean towards good. You're definitely right. If you had to put a number value I had to put a number 70-30. They came through. Good. That's pretty much exactly where you had it. Yeah. That's that's, that's where I... This is not a perfect movie. It's not even a good movie. It's a fun movie. Uh, No truer words have ever been spoken. And we're definitely going to... Talk about the the negatives, the positives, and everything in between. Um, but let's talk about when when did you first see this movie? You saw it opening weekend. I remember talking about this movie in first grade, like you know, oh, Freddy versus not even seeing a Freddy. You know, we just were aware of it. It was the eighty mid eighties height of slasher films. Kids talk, oh, Freddy versus or Jason. It'd be blah blah blah. You know, and then hearing when real uh, after. Uh, Jason goes to hell. The little teaser of Freddy grabbing the mask and a real possibility of this happening. I, I just want to point out, thank you so much, Adam Marcus. He's one of the first person people who ever took a chance on our podcast. And I've getting I've gotten a little bit of shit over the years for defending Jason Goes to Hell. And if you'll look up here on the wall in the Black Lodge, the only poster I have on my wall that's autographed is, is Jason Goes to Hell. And um, I, I just want to say that it's not a great Friday the 13th movie, but if you don't love the ending of Jason Goes to Hell, there's something wrong with you. That that had me literally salivating in third grade for the possibilities of what would come to be. One of my things about Jason Goes to Hell, uh, just real quickly, you hear all these, oh, the scripts that were written but never produced for whatever big... Like, the, there are some uh, interesting Freddy versus Jason And we're going ideas. to talk about them. <laughs> but it's like they actually took that that you would hear. That's a cool, neat concept. Let's do something completely different. So, fuck you if you don't like Jason versus Jason Goes to Hell. But I understand, Listen, listen, listen I, I, as a Friday the 13th movie, I will agree it's, with you. The, the, it's, it's the black sheep of the family. But as a horror movie, especially in the 90s, those kills oh, can yeah. be like it's it's ripping that bitch in half while she's riding <laughs> dick. That was amazing. Um, the homoerotic shaving scene, not so much, um, but it did make me feel uncomfortable. I, I watched. I was in the theater with my grandmother in 1993 when that came out, or 92, whenever it was, it came out, and I, even then, I'm like, "This is what is going on? This Why is very strange." Hard. That's what you were thinking. No, that 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 I reserve that for uh, for later on in in the film with uh, sexy sexy. Uh, uh, Battlestar Galactica actress, what's her name? I have no idea. I know <laughs> we'll who you're move, talking about. Though. We'll move on, we'll move on. Um, my story for seeing Freddy vs. Jason, um, I saw it opening weekend, and I was so engrossed because I, I saw Jason Goes to Hell, and I saw part eight in theater, kind of. Um, I had, uh, my uh, grandmother was going to see uh, Jason Takes Manhattan, 
and I was uh, with my cousin or my aunt, I can't remember exactly, and we had gone to see another movie, and that movie ended, and we went into the theater, and I saw the end of Jason Takes Manhattan. I had fucking nightmares for weeks, even though it's a, it's a fucking goofy movie. Um, but I had this tradition. It was like, well, I, we've got to see you know all these movies in theater together, and unfortunately, uh, by that point, I had come to the realization that my grandmother was uh, not cool, and in 2003, <laughs> at the age of 19, like, going to a horror movie <coughs> with your grandmother is not something I wanted to uh, pursue, but I was so entrenched in uh, what could be with Freddy versus Jason that, you know, I'd read about it in Fangoria for years, and uh, issue 200 of Fangoria actually has this wonderful group shot of, like, all the um, the surviving horror actors of the 1980s together, and it kind of talks about, you know, when will we ever see this movie, and it kind of teased, like, it's in the works, you'll, you'll see it eventually, and my dick was so fucking hard, it could have broke a diamond. <laughs> and then when it finally happened, uh, I, I had to see it at the absolute first showing. Now, uh, in our hometown, Morristown, Tennessee, there was a, uh, a little theater. But at that point, uh, was a second-run theater. And in our town, it had the first showing. But I went a step beyond that. I wanted to see it the first showing was showing anywhere. So I drove all the way to Knoxville. Oh, my God. And for whatever reason, the times they were showing were wrong. So then I drove all the way to <laughs> Rogersville. And and here's where it gets interesting. Back in those days, it wasn't digital projecting. It was actually two giant reels. So I watched the first half of this movie, and I'm like, you know, rock hard, you know, ready to go. And then when the second reel switches over, they inputted it wrong. So it was playing upside down and backwards. <laughs> and... I was a shithead at 19. I just want to be completely upfront about that. Still is, but you know. Well, way more way so. Worse. Way we more so. Worse. I hadn't worn off the idea that, like, oh, I can't get in trouble for acting like an asshole. Um, I still had that 17-year-old, like, who are you going to do? You know, make me go home? Uh, but, oh, my God. I threw such a fucking fit with the theater manager. And they're like, okay, you can stay. You can stay. And we'll, we'll show it to you by yourself if, if it will make you happy. I was literally this pissed <laughs> off about it. Now... What I didn't realize is that he was just saying that to me to, to pacify me, and really, they just showed it the next showing, which at that point was like a 2 o'clock showing. Um, the 2 o'clock showing was filled with nothing but children, like 7, 8, and 9-year-old children. And this was a Friday. 2 a.m.? No, no, oh. during the day. Oh, this, this is, is 2 p.m. Yeah, okay, this is a matinee. This is, this is back before they would I do... I thought like, you might have midnight showings. Before showing they would do Thursday, you know, midnight showings. And I there was these kids sitting next to me. And when you go to the part where, you know, Jason is terrorizing the woman on the dock and she shows her tits. Yeah. And like, the kids are like, woohoo! I looked over at this kid with, like, death in my eyes. <laughs> and I'm like, you little shit, if you do not shut the fuck up. I will put you in a fucking trash can and they will never find you. <laughs> I mean, I literally said this to a kid. Um, and finally, you know, like they, they all shut the fuck up. And, and so I, I basically saw the first half of this movie twice. And then I saw the second half a little bit, which at the second reel is the first battle between Freddie and Jason. And so I saw that backwards and upside down. And, it, and I was like, what is going on? And at first I'm watching this and I'm thinking like, this is some weird, uh, like, dream kind of... <laughs> I could see it take a second before you'd realize it. It, it. took a while. 
but at a certain point, I'm like, yeah, there's something not right here. Um, so my Freddy vs. Jason uh, viewing was was not exactly what I wanted it to be, but I guess in for the sake of the story, it's probably more interesting than the the average person. What did you think of the movie the first time you saw it? First time I saw it, it was Friday night, the 7 o'clock showing at the Capri 4 in Morristown. I fucking loved it. It was it was a blast. It was fun. I still had my little qualms even then leaving the theater, but leaving the theater led to my true and only objective third party, uh, you know, in contact with supernatural. Let me tell you real quick. Please tell me. You know the toxic relationship I was in at the time. I I do. She's outside the theater crying. Her aunt had unexpectedly died in the hospital from a blood clot as she was supposed to be getting checked out. Oh man, that's terrible. So it was horrible. The next, you know, we, there's two days later, there's the funeral. We go to the funeral. The grandma lives in Rutledge. We lived in uh, Morristown. We met in the middle. Her grandmother was cleaning out her old house by the post office. There was nothing there but a sectional couch and a copy maker while she's cleaning it. I go back to the bathroom. In the back, you had to go behind the kitchen, out by the back door, there's a bathroom. And I come back up, and I'm enveloped in a cloud of just perfume and taste it like oh god what the hell i thought they dropped and broke a bottle of perfume they come in there and start bawling that was her aunt joyce's favorite perfume i had no way of knowing that there was nothing in the house it was completely uh empty but that's like i wouldn't know to know that that was joyce's perfume. it was on my clothes the next day wow so that I that I always connect that memory to Freddy versus Jason. That's that's crazy. Um, I, I'm I'm one of those people that is more skeptical than a believer. I am too, but I mean, but, how are you going to argue that? That is a uh, that is kind kind of strange. Um, uh, that's got a weird weird turn to take a from a Freddy <laughs> yeah. versus Jason argument. And by the way, uh, just for the sake of argument, fuck you, Jennifer. <laughs> yeah, definitely fuck you, you toxic bitch. <laughs> um. One thing we'll say positively is that this movie is brimming with kills. On Fat Tony's hit list, we have got... 21. Now, this is an arguable point, uh, because during the corn Corn fizzle scene, it is kind of hard to tell how many exactly. I counted 21. Some counts I've seen it is up to 24. Um, I got 24 when I did it earlier this week. Okay, but that's well, including you, yeah. Now I did not include uh, Freddy's kills from the opening. I felt that was kind of a cop out. Although no, no, I didn't count those either. Um, but though those were uh, oh, the story I, montages yeah. for the, to catch you up to date. Those don't count. It's like the, the first few Friday the Thirteenth. The cool thing, I, and that's exactly the point I was getting ready to make. Yeah. The thing I kind of liked about that is like every Friday the Thirteenth would kind of like recap the previous movies to catch you up to speed because you know back in those days in the early eighties, uh, VHS players, VHS were VCRs as fuck. were expensive, and uh, to have a a VHS copy of something was ridiculous because I mean they back then they were like fifty and sixty bucks. No, and I remember- in nineteen eighty dollars that's a lot i remember the price tag at movies and more on the movie uh trancers was 99 dollars. they left the price tag on it um i love you tim thomerson i love tim thomerson i love those movies there is no horrible no fucking way i would ever spend a hundred dollars on i wouldn't spend nine dollars i would pay a hundred dollars to full moon and i have on multiple occasions but not for one singular movie um 
I didn't include those opening flashback uh, kills uh, for good reason because I don't feel like they're applicable for this particular movie, but I did like the tone that it set. And it gave Freddy a little bit more, uh, you know, of his backstory. I wish that they had done more with Jason, but we'll talk about that as we continue on. On Stank Dick Eddie's Titty Tally, we have four. And I'm putting an asterisk right there. Body double, body Uh, double. We'll get to it. Fun fact, the young lady who exposes her breast at the beginning of the movie during uh, Jason's Freddy-induced nightmare at the camp that's Odessa Monroe, who you may remember as the uh, the biker chick from uh, Final Destination 2, oh. who shows her just at the very beginning of the movie before yeah. the logs hit the thing. Them things is perfect. Very, very nice. Um, very obviously fake. I was fixing to say, I'm going to have to argue. They're wall-eyed. I mean, I like them. They're titties. I'm I'm speaking in terms of, like, proportion, porn, porn perfect. Oh, yeah, they're porn perfect. Um. And here's a not-so-fun fact. Catherine Isabel, who plays Gib in the movie, is not actually naked in the film. She used a stunt double. This is a huge travesty. Probably the biggest travesty of 2003. It makes me sick to think about. Hands down. We'll actually talk about the uh, the reason why she's not naked in this movie a little later on. Um, speaking of 2003, let's take a trip back to that year and evaluate Freddy vs. Jason's stiff competition. Um, Fat Tony, if you would be so kind to read out the horror films of 2003, and we'll kind of break down where yeah. they all place. We got some good ones on here. Wrong Turn, Identity, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake, Darkness Falls, House of a Thousand Corpses, High Tension, Jeepers Creepers 2, Willard the remake, Final Destination 2, and my personal favorite, obviously, Leprechaun Back to the Hood. <laughs> Shout out to Warwick <laughs> Davis. <laughs> Open Water, Beyond Reanimator, Dreamcatcher, and Underworld. Okay, now, <coughs> after looking at that list, if you had to, to guesstimate, where do you think Freddy vs. Jason is on this list? I'm going to say three or four. Well, to, for just to build suspense... Coming in at number five with $81,240,406 Dreamcatcher. Well, I, I, have, I have mixed feelings. Shit weasels. Mixed feelings about that He movie. was on Painkillers when he wrote the book. I'll cut him slack. <laughs> the movie should have been it, massively reworked. It, interesting idea. Yeah. Uh, coming in at number four, Final Destination 2 with $90,941,129. I, I, the Final Destination movies are fine. Uh, they were, they were fun, but I, I, you know, I, I really couldn't tell you much about other than just like specific scenes. I don't. Remember yeah, I remember the kills, them. not the plots. Uh, coming in at number three, Underworld with ninety five million seven hundred eight thousand four hundred fifty seven dollars. Uh, that was my number one pick in my head. Oh, you, you were, would be wrong. And uh, Underworld, very popular, multiple sequels. Um, it was kind of the the werewolf equivalent of the Resident Evil movies, and that like it got a sequel every yeah. couple of years. Coming in at number two, and this really surprised me: the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake at one hundred and seven thousand three hundred sixty three. One hundred seven million. One hundred seven million three hundred sixty three thousand. $905. He just tried the shit out because it's a remake and he hates remakes, but it's a I, good remake. Hey, hey, I will defend that movie 
That is a early Ermy. That is the best. Relentless. As far as the big four remakes, hands down the best. And I think it's the only one that achieves uh, a level of greatness of the the four. Except for Evil Dead. Of the big four. Of the big four. And and fuck Evil Dead. I won't watch it. I'm just going to beat him up one day and make him. (laughs) It'd be like uh, the scene in um, uh, crap. uh, You know what I'm talking about. Clockwork Orange. Oh, Clockwork Orange. Yeah, I'm going to Alex's ass. Um. Coming in at number one, Freddy versus Jason with one hundred and sixteen million six hundred and thirty-two thousand six hundred and twenty-eight dollars. Now let's talk about that. One hundred seven million to one hundred sixteen million. It took two slashers uh, fighting each other to beat the the box office gross of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is really surprising because the the fluctuating popularity of Leatherface has been all over the place. They're about but, to do another one. Yeah, that's true. And and uh, knock on wood, it'll be good. Uh, I got my fingers crossed. Um, I've I, still I, never made it through Texas Chainsaw. I've I've never like the last the 3D one they put out. I've I've tried it four times. Get about halfway through and just start scrolling through my phone and just just turn it I, off. I don't hate it. But I understand why people hate it. And it's one of those movies, like, if we ever did on the podcast, oh, I would rip it so many assholes because... The it, timeline it, the, is It makes the absolute, deal breaker. absolutely no sense. In fact, the, the version that I saw in theaters, you clearly see on the stuff it says 1973, and then in the DVD and Blu-ray releases, they crop that shit out because they have so many complaints. But that's neither here nor there for the purposes of this. But Freddy vs. Jason, number one horror movie of 2003. Completely understandable. I get it. Yeah, the, the fan expectation, the desire for this movie has been talked about for decades. You know, it finally, you know, people got their nut off. They well, got I mean, to see it. 2003 had its share of blockbusters and it had its share of bombs, but despite the gold mine of a concept to pit the two biggest horror icons of the 1980s against one another, Freddy vs. Jason sat in limbo for years and had many starts and stops before it would finally come to fruition in 2003. So let's take a a trip back in time to the 80s and figure out how the most anticipated slasher film of all time came to be. Let's go from page to screen. Now, influenced by the overwhelming fan desire for a crossover film between Freddy Krueger of Nightmare on Elm Street and uh, Jason Voorhees of the Friday the 13th series, New Line Cinema and Paramount, respectively, uh, jointly pursued projects going back as far as 1987. Uh, uh, Tony's pouring uh, some wine. I'm pouring some wine. Because we're fancy. We're fancy like that. Sorry, people. (laughs) That's, That's fine. Uh, enjoy your wine. Drink, drink up. I need you mm. extra tipsy for. I'm getting uh, some fruity notes, and uh, it, it's peach white wine. It's definitely. It's like he said earlier. This tastes what it's like to be a white, a mid, upper middle class white woman. Yeah, there's also grape in this. So, um, oh, I get those those notes of. I don't care. I don't, I just I forgot to bring. It'll liquor get with you me. drunk. It'll get you drunk. Okay, um, but nineteen around 1987, uh, right before. They produced Friday Thirteenth Part uh, Eight, I believe. Um, they they talked about like let's put these two guys together, and of course, you know, two production we companies. We want this money. We want this money. Yeah, they, they could not agree on things. Um, 
But when Friday the 13th Part 8 underperformed at the box office, and when I say underperformed, it still made a huge fucking profit comparatively to to its budget. But Paramount was always ashamed of those movies, and they needed there to be sort of like an escalation of profit for them to be able to justify Part 8 is worse than Jason Goes to Hell. I'm sorry. It's got the head knock scene and Kane Hodder. I don't. I, we won't get I, off on a side tangent. I would, I would have. I would have to think about it because the first half of that movie is really good. It's all the shit that happens in New York that I'm like, man, this is bad. Um, basically, throughout the '80s and '90s, this was always in the workings, and Sean Cunningham uh, wanted to bring Freddy versus Jason to the big screen. So when Paramount was done. New Line purchased the property, and uh, New and Sean Cunningham had so much, you know, corporate stake in, stake it. in it. So he was the one kind of um, uh, putting it together. But before Cunningham could begin to work on Freddy vs. Jason, Wes Craven re- returned to do New Nightmare. So that completely threw their entire timeline off. And New Nightmare is it's great. great. It's totally worth it. It's yeah. top three of the films. And I hate '90s movies for the most part, and there there are aspects of that movie that I don't like about the, the cinematography and the look of it. But story wise, it's a really strong movie. Yeah, and yeah. having Heather Langenkamp come back and, and Wes Craven in the directing chair, like I completely understand why he did that. And Freddy's dead for for better or for worse, uh, no, not no. the best way to end the series. So. It, New Nightmare, if that had been the way the series ended, I think a lot of people would probably have been happy with that, but there was still that clamoring to want to see Freddy and Jason back together. So, they produced Jason Goes to Hell with New Line, and they have that stinger at the end, which was a complete ad-lib on the, the point of like, hey, both Freddy and Jason work together. This wasn't ever intended like, this is going to set up the next movie, so much as that it was like, this is impending. But this wasn't necessarily the thought of this was going to be the next movie. Definitely. It, d- it didn't end up being. No. We ended up with Jason uh, X, which I will say, I saw this opening night. The crowd fucking loved it. Hell yeah. But it's I, a fun movie. It's but, just... but it's another movie that is derived, <laughs> and I can understand why people dislike it. Uh, the CGI definitely hurts the movie, and it, it has a really... Uh, cheap aesthetic to it. Yeah. Uh, the digital really shows through. It doesn't look cinematic, I guess is the point I'm trying to make. Um, so, in early 2000, Jason X was said to be produced, and it was going to be in April, and Michael DeLuca, who was the head of New Line, wanted basically this movie not to exist because he w- was afraid that it would hurt the performance and the production of Freddy vs. Jason. But Sean Cunningham kind of disagreed with this because he wanted them to keep Jason in the consciousness. That way, when they produce yeah. another film, they were able to do it. Now, Micah DeLuca, in a complete act of spite, he uh, he hired uh, a gentleman to write a script within like six weeks. And it's like, hey, we're going to make another Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Fuck all this. We're, this is completely to... Fuck you, Sean Cunningham, for making another Jason movie. Like, fuck you. You don't want to make you know Freddy vs. Jason... Fuck you, we'll make another uh, Nightmare on Elm Street movie. And uh, tentatively, um, they had Winona Ryder was going to be the star of this movie, which is... What the hell? I know, right? Um, 
she was going to be the main lead. And Robert England dropped out of a major European film to rush back to the States just to do costume fittings and like test shoots and stuff. And with the production beginning, it was going to be in March of 2000. But for whatever reason, the film never happened. And DeLuca was so upset, he left New Line Cinema, which led Jason X not getting released until 2002, the year I graduated high school. This was one of the first movies that really uh, leaked online. And I resisted because I, I I didn't want to be spoiled, but I remember people you know, in my high school being like, oh man, Jason X is on Pirate Bay or, or, or LimeWire or whatever yeah, it was back in those days. And I resisted. I, I'm glad that I did because uh, there's a couple of spots in that movie that, uh, you know, really made me pop. You know, the, the sleeping bag kill. and You, know, and you want to smoke pot and have premarital <laughs> sex? <laughs> great, Best part of the whole fucking movie. Great stuff. Now, over the years... Uh, in to tr- try and develop a proper Freddy versus Jason into being, New Line reportedly spent six million dollars on script development alone, and they had several different writers and the, the Peter scripts. Fucking Jackson. We'll, 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 <laughs> we'll get to it. The scripts range crazily. So let I'll, I'll go through uh, the ones that I I found, and if you, there's some that like that you remember that are not on this list, feel free to interject. Um, uh, this one uh, is called Nightmare Thirteen: Freddy Meets Jason. This was the first script that was written. This was back in like '87 or '88. It was written by Louis Abernathy. Um, it deals with uh, this is the first version of the cultist who want to bring Freddy back to life. Well, they weren't called oh. Fredheads until later on, okay. but this was the first inkling of that idea. And this this script is fucking nuts. It was very much tonally uh, consistent with what they were doing in Freddy's Dead. A little more of that kind of wink and nod kind yeah. of stuff, but uh, they went full on nuts with it. The protagonist of the film would implant the heart of their dead friend into Jason's body in an effort to 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 use him to fight J- uh, Freddy. And the thing that I found really funny about this is that you see Jason driving a Subaru throughout the movie, and this would have been like you know like late eighties or early nineties whenever this would have went into production. But like, there's just something that like that doesn't work. I, and I know no. that Scott was writing it from a, a Freddy, a pro Freddy standpoint, um, and, and Jason was going to be more of like a add on the, 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 the husk of the body that uh, that and and not so much the the ability, but the heart. He was going to be a different, a completely different person. I guess is the way I'm trying to put it. Um, one of the movie's battles was going to take place in hell. Freddy versus Jason were going to be in a demonic boxing match, and I believe Ted Bundy was going to be the referee, and, <laughs> and it was going to be bonkers. And Freddy's motivation in this script was to transmit um, his the teachings of this Freddy cult through satellites to different like points of the world. Um, and it was going to be like a virus that infected their brains. So like basically a piece of Freddy would be in like everybody. That way he could go beyond Elm Street. And the way they defeat Freddy is they they beam him through a, tr- through a satellite into the sun. Yeah, that's how you do it. 
I mean, ridiculous. That's, oh my god! I see, I, I, is I, that is that better than what we got or worse? Because I feel conflicted. <laughs> I, I'd like. I like some of the ideas, but it's worse because you don't have Jason, even the husk of Jason, driving a car. Unless it's the, American. The, 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 the Jason aspect is really, really bad. Freddy they got it great with. The the Freddy aspect is fun. Um, I, I, I don't know whether visually conveying Freddy being transmitted through a satellite would have been satisfying or not. But it does seem like something that like a late '80s movie would yeah. have would have tried to do. Uh, the second one that is well known, which is the more serious version of the script we just talked about, which was written by David J. Scow, who we talked about, who did uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre yeah. Three, uh, long running uh, uh, column in Fangoria. But that was where the Fred Head cult like kind of really took precedent. This seems to be the script I think, I think most people are familiar with. Uh, it's the one that I, I heard about a lot uh, growing up, and the one I kind of expected the movie to be about. But you know, obviously, that's not the direction they went. They go with. They went with. Um, the next script is uh, written by Peter Briggs, and this is where Freddie and Jason are sort of erased from time. It's a time traveling adventure where Freddie and Jason are grim reapers for the devil. And because of their many failings on Earth and they both end up back in hell, they the devil lets them out to reap souls, and whoever cures the most gets to stay, and the other one is damned. Um, that, to me, sounds like comic book stuff. It's very fanficy. Yeah, I don't like that. So, I, I mean, I, I can't say that there wouldn't have been a... That sounds like a directed like video knockoff. That they, you know, it's Red Booger and Basin <laughs> Borhe. That sounds like an apocalypse video. Is that the company that does all the mockbusters? Oh no! Um, oh, fuck. Uh, apocalypse? No. Asylum. 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 Yeah, Asylum. No. Yeah, Asylum. Get on that. I, I, I'm all, I'm all for your super low budget, uh, soul reaping slasher movie. Um, the the next one, which was written by Brendan Braga and Ronald D. Moore, who you may, may know as a very famous science fiction writer, worked on the Star Trek series and uh, on and beyond. No, I've had sex with women, so I didn't know that. Oh, <laughs> fuck you, you do know that. I do. <laughs> All right, um, this one basically uh, took the idea that the the film series that you've seen was sort of a fictionalized history, both both series. More so the Jason series, and that Jason was a human being, and he was on trial for all the murders he had committed, and he's being tormented in his dreams by Freddy Krueger. Um, I don't like this idea. I don't like it at all. Why? I, it, I, I think it's because they, they felt compelled because it was New Line, it was really spearheading these things and wanting to do it to like to favor Freddy more than Jason. And it's always been kind of the how do you balance this? You know, going back to Paramount and New Line wanting to work respectively. It's like, well, who wins? Who doesn't? Who who comes out on top? Who has the more kills? It, it's it's a bunch of like you know bullshit that would bog anybody down. But I don't like that. Let's have a Ghostbusters movie where they don't bust ghosts. They um open up a dog kennel. I was going to say, a Chinese you know, restaurant. Taking them out of their element. And, you know, sometimes that's a, a nice idea. 
but not with fucking slashers. I'm arrested. I'm gonna, I got bad dreams of Freddy. I'm in court. No. <laughs> um, are are there any like of the Freddy versus Jason scripts that like I didn't mention the the? the... I know, like I know, I'm not familiar with the entire script, but like Peter Jackson's idea that like Freddy's lost all his power. And kids are even taking drugs to go to sleep to, like, fuck with him until he kills one. Well, that that script, I don't... I think that was actually just for a specific uh, Freddy vs. It was a Freddy Nightmare on Elm Street. That was a Nightmare on Elm Street? It was a Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, The Dream Lover, I, I want to say is what that was called. I may be incorrect on that, but... No, because now that you... As soon as you said it, I, I'd... Uh, no, like the big one with the Fred Heads and tossing a heart into the lake. It was just the one I heard, like, the Fred Heads do a sacrifice... Toss a heart in the lake. They kill somebody to bring Freddy back. Toss a heart in the lake, and that's what brings back Jason. That's the one I've heard of. With the Fred heads. Well, uh... Or something like that. There there was... Uh, the Freddy vs. Jason never got a sequel, but there was a comic book sequel. And as much as I'm going to probably shit on Jeff Katz throughout the course of this podcast... He did write one of the the best things that has ever graced either series, and that being Freddy versus Jason versus Ash. Oh fuck yeah! Um, it got a couple of uh, limited runs because there was Freddy versus Jason versus Ash, and there was its sequel, Nightmare Warriors, which, which was my favorite, which brought fucking Freddy in the White House, everybody back together. Just fun comic book stuff. Um, the inclusion of Ash into the storyline isn't the first time a horror icon was considered, though. Um, I know this one. Let's talk about the yeah. original ending for Freddy vs. Jason, or the ending that was... Uh, talked about. Talked about. So, you were going to have Freddy and Jason fighting at Crystal Lake, and then it was going to be... They were going to be engulfed by this, like, big wave, and it would take them to hell. And you were going to have, you know, a slow panning shot and the spotlight would hit and it would be um, the Cenobite prince on his throne, Pinhead, saying something to the effect of, gentlemen, what's the trouble? Or yeah. you know, something of that effect. I'm wearing a Pinhead shirt. You, are, you literally are. God's, God's busy. Can I help you? Yeah. Um, so what do you think about that ending and would it have been the, the icing on the cake of this movie? Uh, okay, I know... My first instinct was thinking about it critically, and I'd be like, it's not the right thing. I, I know if I'd have been in the, in the theater saying that, I'd be like, holy shit, that's fucking awesome, because I'm a naturally optimistic person, but I'm glad it didn't work out like that, kind of. I'm going to take the opposite route. I, I kind of feel like, because this was one off, I know they wanted to do yeah. sequels, and it just never, never happened. If that had been the ending... Because this is the ending to both original series, like yeah. continuity-wise... And if that had been the ending, I, I mean, I think I would have left the the theater in such a jubil, jubilant state that I would have been ejaculating pure happiness for, for weeks to come. Instead, we have to wait till fucking next summer for Afterlife, maybe. <sighs> my, my, my second most awaited uh, film of all time. And it's not called Ghostbusters 3, but I'm counting it. Yeah, sometimes I'll put on the extra features on the Blues Brothers DVD and just look at uh, Dan Aykroyd's filmography and just stare happily at it. Yeah, it says like 1999. <laughs> 1999, <laughs> Ghostbusters 3. Um, the ending of Freddy vs. Jason that was 
intended with Pinhead. It would have been the most incredible thing ever, but it simply wasn't to be. However, there was a different ending shot for Freddy vs. Jason, but we'll discuss that a little later on in the episode. First, I would like you, Fat Tony, to read the synopsis of what we're getting ourselves into. What is the story of Freddy 42 minutes later, let's talk about the movie we're talking about. (laughs) Now, if you haven't seen it, I know you're not listening. A fright to the death, the slicer versus the slasher. Two titans of terrors going at it, mano a machete. They're going to kill each other. A lot. The horror and wicked fun begins when Freddy realizes he can't haunt dreams because folks no longer fear him. So he enlists Jason to do a little killing on his behalf on Elm Street. Presto, the fear is back and so is Freddy. One problem. Jason isn't about to stop offing people and another... Freddy isn't about to let Jason rule Elm Street. This means war. Freddy versus Jason, winner kills all. Well, um, I know they don't really go into deep, uh, <laughs> too deep with the plot there, but in broad strokes, that's exactly what we have in this movie. The monumental task of helming the biggest slasher film of all time fell on the shoulders, for better or for worse, of Con- Hong Kong filmmaker Ronnie Yu. Now, you may remember some of the films he's worked on. He did uh, Warriors of Virtue, which is a terrible movie where kangaroo people do martial arts. Yep. He did Formula 51 with Samuel L. Jackson, uh, where he's a master chemist and he makes drugs. And it's it's a placebo. It's basically um, the unsatisfying version of Breaking Bad. But he does blow up meatloaf. Who doesn't want to see Great Love blown up? That was pretty badass. (laughs) Speaking of, I'm going to get one more sip of alcohol because my my awesome meter's dipping low. Oh, well, fuck. You load up on that shit. You chug it. (laughs) I'll butt chug it. He did Fearless, which is a Jet Li martial arts film that is supposedly really good. It's okay. I've seen it. I've never seen it. Uh, Martial arts cinema, I'm, I'm kind of fickle on... I like, I really like the schlocky shit from the 70s, oh, but a lot yeah. of these modern things, I feel like they take themselves a little too seriously. Um, that may be me miscalculating. I don't know. I've never seen it. Um, he did Bride of Chucky. Hell yeah. Which I don't personally love, but it is incredibly popular among fans. And not to say the least, uh, The Bride with White Hair, which is the film that put him on the radar to direct Freddy vs. Jason. Um, I actually watched this movie several years after the fact because I I I don't want to tip my hat too much but I was like why the fuck did they hire this guy to write this movie like of, of everybody available and I do get it I do get it because you wanted something just like extravagant and after watching this movie um, The Bride with White Hair it, it kind of made sense because you're not making a horror movie you're making an event this exactly. is this is two people uh, ripping the flesh off each other for, you know, at least a third of the movie, and there's some inconvenient plot thrown out in, in between to kind of tie everything together. But um, Ronnie originally turned down the directing gift for Freddy vs. Jason. He cited the script uh, for not indicating who would uh, win, and he turned down the project. That's kind of a interesting reason for turning for turning it down. But he finally agreed to take on the job when Robert Shea, New Line CEO, uh, told him he could make that decision for himself. 
Now there's there, no, 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 no. I want to point. That, I want to point this out because there's been contradiction upon contradiction about basically every aspect of the making of this movie. Robert Shea says no, <laughs> because obviously uh, they had a, a vested in, uh, interest in Freddy. And literally, New Line is the house that Freddy built, um, and we'll get to who we think is going to be you know comes out on top. But he supposedly quote unquote was given the right to kind of decide. What I think is that they pestered him enough to where he finally caved in. That's just my personal opinion. Now, we'll reserve our judgments on who actually won in the movie later um, in our fan question segment, but first, let's talk about Ronnie being given the reins to the film. Was Ronnie you the right man for the job, in your opinion? For a 2003 version version of this movie, yes. Having, like, you know, Brad Chucky and his other films... I, am I saying he's the best possible that they could have done? No, but for when they were actually going to put fucking film in camera and do it, yes, at that time, I think. You know, here's the thing. Like, I, I kind of felt myself at a crossroads because in my mind, I'm like, yeah, fuck this guy. Like, hire somebody else. But then I started thinking about it, and I'm like, you know what? Nobody of a when I say quote-unquote respectable directing caliber, is probably going to go anywhere near a movie like this, and understandably so. It is it is schlock, high-caliber schlock, but schlock nevertheless. But Ronnie Yu was a director that had a buzz, and uh, albeit one of sort of like a limited, but, you know, the, the, the cinephiles knew who he was for, for the things he had done before. Definitely not Warriors of Virtue, which is a piece of shit. But I can't say anybody that would have been a better choice, even though I disagree with a lot of the things he does in this movie. Uh, first being is that um, he tries to do like a motif of lighting in this movie where uh, he likes Color. the movie a lot blue for Jason and red for, for Freddy. But because there's so much less Freddy in the movie, you just have... Probably three fourths of this movie is lit blue, and it's so unnatural that, like, to me, it didn't really stand out in two thousand three. But now, viewing it as a thirty six year old man, I'm like, it sounds man, like this a is... first year film student's idea, something clever. Yeah, I, I it, agree with it, that. It wasn't done in a way that I felt was beneficial to the film because I think it like it makes the movie look cheap in some parts, and for uh, the film that was most expensive to make, that's certainly not one you want to convey. Um, there's also a constant use of overhead shots, and we didn't add a drink it in segment for this podcast just for running time, but if you want to do one, take a shot anytime there is a blue light or there is an overhead shot, and trust me, you're going to be so buzzed, you're going to enjoy the fuck out of this yeah. movie. So maybe that was the intention from the get-go. He's, he's a, Forward thinking. He's playing 4D chess. Um, one thing in particular I don't like is the way that some of the scenes are shot. And and it's not discounting him because he's obviously got a cinematic eye. Um, the film is undercranked a lot to give its stuttered effect. It's first noti- noticeable in the bed kill, which we're going to discuss later on, which, you know, spoiler, I really like. Yeah. Um, but it's really noticeable during the dream sequence, which I'm a little more forgiving about with a uh, young Jason at Crystal Lake. Um... He kind of, he 
justified using this in like a, a lot of his Hong Kong films. He would do this in fight scenes to give it like more of a kinetic action feel. Um, does this style work for you? No, except for the aren't you coming? I'm trying to, this bitch is a dead fight. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, and I understand what you're uh, saying, but uh, it's not, again, it's not even a deal break. It's not something I even noticed until you brought it up just now, except for, you know, her sounding stupid talking in slow motion. The, see, it actually kind of works for me in that scene. I mean, scene. as a joke, yeah. In that scene, because it's a you're, dream. you're in Things a dream. Things are a nightmare. It's, Everything's going slower yeah. than you want it to be. But specifically, like, I, I cited the bed kill, and it's almost like there's frames <coughs> of the film lost. It's like you're watching yeah. something and uh, you have a bad connection, and you're, you know... It's like not the, bu- it's, it's buffering it, It's or buffering or stuttering or something. So that kind of threw me off. Um, obviously, <laughs> if you can't figure this out, Ronnie was not the first choice to direct Frey versus Jason. In fact, there was a laundry list. Steven Spielberg. <laughs> I'm sure if they could have got him, they would have they would have loved it. And Spielberg probably would have made an amazingly <laughs> weird movie considering the subject matter. Um, but he, there was a, so many directors that were contacted for this, and they were just hard news. Um, the first person, uh, reportedly, that was offered to direct this movie was Rob Zombie. The second person was Peter Jackson. Um, we know that Peter Jackson has he has a background in both horror and he was a definite fan. We talked about this a little earlier with his Nightmare on Elm Street script that he had yeah. uh, proposed, which they they shot down. And it probably feels stupid for doing that now. It's like, oh, the most one of the most successful filmmakers of all time. You know, the biggest series that our studio has ever done. We kind of spit on his ideas, but. He had this idea, and we kind of touched on it before, where Freddy would kind of have been forgotten, and he wouldn't have power, and does that sound kind of familiar to you? Because it's basically the prologue of this movie. Yeah. So I have to think that with the amalgamation of all the different ideas that were thrown into this movie, um, you maybe have been kind of right. They took isolated things... But, and, and here's one thing, just getting back to all the different script ideas, where I love Jason Goes to Hell for just going balls out and trying something completely different, they stripped everything down to its basics. Like you said, it's Freddy versus Jason, inconvenient plot points to get them together, instead of having something stupid and elaborate where you have to care about shit you don't need. You need these two people and you need them killing people. Well, I guess my, my question would be, is uh, do, does... Uh, Either Rob Zombie or Peter, Peter Jackson. Peter Jackson would have knocked this out of the fucking park. Rob Zombie, no. It'd have been he'd been killing like white trash trailer park <laughs> people who are, who yell and cuss at each other. He would have been a great cinematographer, maybe DP on the movie. I'll give him that. Rob Zombie, but no, Peter Jackson knocked this out of the fucking park. You know, people forget like. Peter Jackson did Bad Taste and I mean, uh, more Dead Alive uh, or Brain Dead Frighteners, which is which Beat is the more, Feebles. Oh my god, it's <laughs> so good! And those movies, especially Dead Alive or Brain Dead, as it's known yeah. everywhere else in the world, is such a 
fucking gory movie. Disgusting. I mean, movie. like the the most amount of blood I think it ever used in the movie to that point. And this movie is no slouch when it comes to the amount of blood that was shed. So for, on that end, I think he would have been terrific. Plus, he's so much better with actors. And this is not a slight on Ronnie. He's from Hong Kong. He speaks English, but he doesn't speak English as well as Peter Jackson does. So I think some of the performances probably could have improved just from his involvement. But I'll learn real quickly. I just want to say, in a slasher movie, you're not really worried that much about performances from the ancillary characters. Because well, spe- these have horrible ones. Well, especially considering when you take into consideration that we're, you know, like... This is what the eleventh Friday the Thirteenth movie and the ninth Freddy movie or eighth Freddy movie. Um, It it does kind of switch to the point of like you caring more about the killers and the exactly. But it doesn't hurt that you want to like be empathic with the people that are involved. I just want titties and blood. Well, (laughs) there could have been more titties in this. There definitely could have been more titties. I know, listen, I, I've been kind of hard on Ronnie, but don't misunderstand me. I think he's an excellent director. I personally just don't believe that for modern standards, like in uh, retrospect, that maybe he was the the best choice. And even though I say that, I've contradicted myself because I can't think of anybody who would have been better. He's the best choice at the time. The best I, choice that would have taken the job, I guess there was probably go. the best way to put it. Um, that being said, I do have tons of respect for him. Uh, at only nine months old, and this is... 100% true. Killed the Ronnie, yes. <laughs> Ronnie, he contracted polio and he had this long recovery period. I mean, like, really fucking sick. And he didn't have a normal childhood. Like, he didn't play with kids on the street and stuff. He was bedridden a lot of his early life. And he had to spend so much time in isolation that he ended up seeing so many movies that he was almost destined to become a filmmaker. So, I know I've said my negatives. Let's talk about the positives of him directing Freddy vs. Jason. The first thing that comes to mind, and I absolutely love this shot. It's probably my favorite shot in the entire movie. Gib, who's played by Catherine Isabel, she's sitting on the windowsill, and she's smoking, and she flicks her cigarette, and it hits Jason's mask. That scene is so beautifully lit, and it's... And I think it may even be like uh, slowed down just a just hair, a hair like, just a hair to give it a little more. You see oomph. the embers kind of move. God, but that that's that's beautiful. And uh, in, in fact, I can tell you, in uh, seeing it the first time in the theater, that that was the first point where I wanted to like get up and clap. Yes. I'm like, oh. <laughs> I think he also did a great job keeping it fast. Like with a movie like this, when you actually break it down, there's a lot of plot. There, there yeah, really like, is more plot than, than probably think, should be for a movie But like they this. keep it fast. He kept it consistent. Yeah, there's no lulls in the movie. My second favorite shot of the movie is uh, a shot he did, which was actually reshoots. At the end of the movie, it's Jason coming out of the water. And it's like a bright morning. There's fog. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's him coming out of the water. And it's slowed down. And you have him holding the the Freddy head. I thought that was so beautifully composed. So the guy has an eye for cinema. Absolutely. Um, So I I don't want to knock him. What are some of the things like that you kind of like about 
Prey versus Jason from a cinematic uh, point from of view. From a cinematic standpoint, I like that. Um, I'm trying to think. There's so much I like. Like, okay, I don't want. I'm not. This is me. This is us kind of switching shoes. I don't want to shit on Ronnie, but it's nothing really about the direction except it's competent. There are scenes, like you said, you've listed some of the best shots. The slow motion coming out of the water, the flick in the cigarette, some of the kills, which I'm sure we'll get to later. Those are what I like. Uh, but it's not like, oh, this director's doing it. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's the process of the director, the script, and the actors bringing together something that is fun. Well, that's a good point. And because I, I film love, is collaborative. Yeah, film is collaborative, but I really feel bad. Because I was, I even said Ronnie used the best choice at the time. That there's nothing specifically about the direction that I'm like, this is amazing. There, there is one part that I, that I really liked um, where it's in the dream world, and you basically see Jason's purgatory, where he's sort of like it's lightning, and you see his cabin, and he's dragging yeah. the water, uh, a body through the water, and he. Uh, he opens up a door in his cabin and throws so a body, whole, in. and it's yeah. very surreal. Yeah. Very surreal. I, I thought that was, um, even though is Jason is the highlight of that moment. I to me that felt the most Nightmare on Elm Street of this movie. Yeah. That sequence um, that was very, even though modern two thousand three, it felt very eighties, and that's a compliment coming yeah. from me. Um, when Ronnie took the directing job for Freddy vs. Jason, he had never seen any of either franchise. Um, he ended up watching, I think, the first of both series. Um, that's real fuck of, up on Friday the 13th. I, I, and maybe that's one of the aspects that's wrong about it. Um, however, the duo responsible for the script, they were self-described fanboys of both Freddy and Jason, and particularly Jason, uh, written by Damian Shannon and Mark Swift. Now, they're well-known as the writers for the Friday the 13th remake, which is uh, polarizing. I, I I don't hate it. I think it's it's good for what it is. Um, my, the pre-credit sequence is amazing. It's, everything before the credits is so good. <laughs> yeah. Um, everything, the movie, all-encompassing, I will say it's a great movie, but it's not a great movie per its budget. Because if you look at like a Friday the 13th movie, basically that exact same script could have been made for so much less money, and I, I don't I don't feel like the money's on screen, I guess is the point I'm there trying to make. There you go, yeah. Because they, had, they had to pay Supernatural guy, and go, oh, and Britney Snow, because people are going to clamor to see them in theaters. No, they weren't. <laughs> Anyways... Do you know what else the this writing duo is known for more contemporarily? The live action Dora the Explorer movie. I'm just playing. I, 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 no. you, you were starting to like really? <laughs> I no. said that's uh, such confidence. I almost had him. Um, no, they did the new Baywatch movie starring the goddamn Rock, who was in Get Smart with Bill Murray, who was in Ghostbusters. You just got busted. Did you ever see the Baywatch remake? I watched about half of it. I, I love Alexandra Daddario, which is reason oh, that you, fuck need, yeah. you need to I watch need to Texas rewatch. Chainsaw. Cause I know, she's so hot. She never but I sh- watched True Detective. She never shows her tits in True that? Detective. She okay. shows them. Well, True Detective is a better... It's a better thing altogether. Yeah. True Detective Season 1 is amazing. I fucking hate Matthew McConaughey, but I'll, 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 oh, get, I'll give it... Rust, we should all just go and die, because I'm a nihilist. <laughs> but it's a really good show. It, I mean, HBO rarely produces... Shit. 
Like, if, if it's shit, it'll be elevated shit. Yeah, elevated shit. <laughs> uh, so, um, Shannon and Swift's original script included the character of Tommy Jarvis, who is the protagonist of Friday the 13th 4, 5, and 6. Fan favorite, undeniably. And there was a consideration of bringing back original actor Corey Feldman, but the studio was more keen on Jason Bateman playing the role of Tommy Jarvis. So before we get into the whole um, cat and nine tales about him, the character not even being in the movie, Tommy Jarvis, as played by Jason Bateman, what do you think about that? Oh, I love the idea. I'm a huge Arrested Development, but I I love the idea in I love Jason Bateman. He's in I a do great too. funny movie, but I think when I hear Tommy Jarvis, I'm thinking, what is that? I'm Tom forget- Matthews. Tom Matthews. Shame on me. That's who I think of. I don't even think of Corey Feldman from part four. I think, I think of Tom Matthews. I think it would be it would have been cool for longtime Friday fans. For, to have an for actor's him to, cameo. For him to come back full circle. Um it was let me, put, let me say let me say this. I met Corey Feldman. He was incredibly nice to me. He he autographed my uh, final chapter uh, painting that my uh, high school girlfriend did for me as a graduation present. Um, but I have to say, Corey Feldman, awesome child actor, not that great of an adult actor. No. And I hate to say that, but it's true. It is. He's he does the whole Batman voice because he doesn't have like a very. You know, Hi, I'm still Corey Feldman, and I'm a grown-up. If I don't talk like this, so how you he doing? tries to talk like this. Yeah, you know, the the Lost Boys sequels that he was in. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm one of the frog. You writers. know, I hated the second sequel, but the third one was all right. But you had to watch the second one to get to the third yeah. one. I felt like the fucking sequel was like a fucking cock tease. It's like just put him in the goddamn movie, and then by the third one, uh, Corey Haim was dead, and it's like, well, this is fuck, bullshit. yeah. <laughs> Anyway, um, but I, 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 Jason Bateman is an interesting idea to come back as Tommy. Um, but I feel like it would have been distracting because he's Jason Bateman. Yeah, and it's not that he couldn't; he can't get lost into a role and become a character. But being that there already have been three actors play this role, like I would have preferred personally Tom Matthews to come back. Shout out, by the way, to our friend uh, Vincent DeSanti who just dropped. Never hike in the snow. Have you Fuck watched it? Fuck yeah. So good. Oh my, I haven't been like on the edge of my seat suspense for anything Friday the 13th related like I was with that. That, that ending sequence. Yeah, just, I, uh, greatly, greatly awaiting my Blu-ray copy of that disc, Mr. Fucking uh, loved DeSanti. It. Uh, great, great, great movie. Um, but Tom Matthews would have been my choice. and What I, they should have done with Tommy Jarvis... As a throwaway kind of gag for the fans, is they should have got somebody with hair to be the security guard at the hospital who gets smushed by the door by Jason. The t- the name tag should have said Tommy Jarvis. Uh, no, I don't want just Tommy. To I, don't, I don't want Tommy Jarvis dead. Well, at he needs time, to be out there. He needs to be out there just in case, and just in case. Or an ambulance. Like like the fucking uh, never hack alone, never hack in the snow. Ambulance driver at the end of the movie. True, that would have worked. That would have worked. I mean, but they should as long as they don't kill him. As long as they don't kill him, yeah, they shouldn't have made him a character. See, I don't know about that. You think that, but the strip the movie for all its flaws. Okay, what about this? Rather than the character of Mark, 
what if the other person in the asylum had been Tommy Jarvis and it had been Tommy and um, Jason Ritter's character escaping and he's not the main the main protagonist but he had been there in the mix but he'd have been killed by Freddy no <laughs> exactly you I just found the hole in your just argument get, just let Freddy kill some other people god damn it yeah. <laughs> you can't kill Tommy listen I'm not sure if there was any... He's not uh, able to view this objectively, I true. I'm not. I'm not. I'll be honest to my bias, but uh, I'm not sure if there's any actual contact made between Corey and the studio, but I can tell you firsthand that when I met Corey, um, I asked him point blank, it, would you ever do another Friday the 13th movie or like a Freddy vs. Jason kind of thing? You know, if they wanted to play you, you'd play Tommy Jarvis. And quote, for, quote unquote, this is what he said, it would have to be done like H2O. So, by that meaning, disregard All 5, 6, 7, and, and I don't know about that. I'm going to say this. It would have to involve a paycheck, and he'd say yes. Let's be, he's not broke. He's got enough probably stored away to live his life. But if there's a good enough paycheck, he'd say well, yes. Well, you're probably right, but I mean, to save face, he, he, that's the obvious thing that he would say. I mean, I still love you, Corey. Yeah, well, truthfully, I, I'm being completely honest with you. He was so nice to me. You still owe me a cup of fucking coffee, yeah, man. Yeah, he has that on video. I have that on fucking video. He owes me a cup of coffee. Um, so, it's fair to say that this was never going to happen. Like Tommy was not going to end up in this movie. Yeah. It just they had to consolidate the the script down to like its core. Uh, according to writers Mark Swift, the uh, writer Mark Swift, uh, New Line CEO Robert Shea seemed way more interested in the Freddy side. Spoiler, obviously. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, and which resulted in Tommy being eliminated from the film. And this led to David S. Goyer, as in the writer of every fucking terrible superhero movie. I'm going to give you a... With the, with the okay. exception of The Dark Knight. No. And ba- he did Batman. Blade. Movie. He wrote the script for Blade. Uh, Mixtron worked on Blade. I've heard so many horror stories that I'm I don't I'm not saying hear. he's a good man. The original Blades, but the first two Blade movies are bad. The second one is... The second one's amazing. The second one's great because Guillermo del Toro but directed Gear- that. David but David Escort did The that. first movie's okay for, for a 90s movie is R-rated fine. comic book action movie. Fuck you, Deadpool. <laughs> he did get there first. He did yeah. get there first. Um, but uh, I hate David S. Goyer. I hate him too. I mean, I defended him for a second, but no, he's a piece of shit. He's... Superman, uh, Batman versus Superman is what you do when you run out of ideas. He, he was... The, <coughs> this is the man who said... I can't put Martian Manhunter in a DC movie because people won't take that seriously. But he's also the same person who said that the uh, She-Hulk was created just so the Hulk had someone to have sex with. They're fucking cousins! Have you never read a comic book, you dumb motherfucker? The second Ghost Rider movie, as bad as the first one is, is even fucking worse! I've never seen it. God damn you... Fuck, I hate him so much. Well, that's a that's a we'll save that. We'll save this for eventually when we do Blade. Nope, I want to aliens. I want to get Mick. <laughs> I want to get Mick. He's told me a lot of funny off off uh, cuff stories about that. Mick Strom, by the way, shout out. I was just on his podcast. I listened and love. Finally, finally, he had some connection issues because we recorded this back in God probably a couple months ago, and um, 
and you know they they got their ducks in a row and they put it together um and i was very honored to be the the first guest on their video version of the podcast my ugly mug probably not suitable for for viewing but no, it's gross i know i know i know he's and the sad fact he's he's better looking than me <laughs> I think, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> um, so uh, going back uh, to the script, uh, personally, I think the script, albeit well-intentioned, uh, comes across kind of generic, and that's probably that's for really uti- all you could utilitarian do. purposes. Yeah. You, you have to do that. Um, that being said, it has to be the most coherent direction the story could have gone, but I still have some issues. Logically, Freddy Fearing Fire... And Jason Fearing Water makes sense, but it directly contradicts previous films in the yeah. series. So let's talk about it. Uh, the big, the biggest one is Jason Fearing Fearing Water. He walks right like one of the scenes that fucked me up as a kid, like genuinely scared me. Is part six when he just walks out into the lake when they're on the boat. It's such an iconic shot. Fucked me up. Yes, that's stupid. I mean, it just it, is. The, I mean, you have to find some chink in his armor, but. No. The, the 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 end of this movie completely contradicts yeah, that when when he when he just casually strolls out of the water. Well, he's you know he's relaxed now. He's got his he's got his murder boner taken <laughs> care of. He's heading home, so it's all good. It, he can't it, go in the water unless he's killed. In defense of Shannon and Swift, they yeah. have been outspoken uh, that a lot of their script was misinterpreted. By Ronnie, whose first language obviously is not English. So I want to say this. Film is a visual medium. Yes. And Ronnie visually shows you that Jason is afraid of water. So he does his part in that. But I I mean, I haven't read the script. But I'm sure that it's probably worded in a more subtextual kind of way. So I, I don't know that their intention was to like make Jason look weak in that moment or or make him look like a pussy I guess would be the better way to put it because yeah. giving him a weakness is not a bad thing you need weaknesses in your villains otherwise like what's the point but having him as literally shaking and then dropping the machete and then turning into a little boy which Freddy sticks his his claw into his brain oh. I, I liked that scene oh. Good I just thing. I just didn't care for the the lead up to it and the the fucking lighting in that scene is, is yeah. like vo- visual vomit it, it's just it's ugly. So um, because of the success of Freddy vs Jason, screenwriters Damian Shannon and Mark Swift were immediately hired by New Line Cinema to write another installment of the Friday the Thirteenth franchise, uh, which after Freddy vs Jason uh, sequel plans were canceled became the 2009 remake. Now. Originally, this was going to be just a, a sequel within continuity. Um, do you think they had what it took to do a just a solo Jason movie in the original continuity that would have made any kind of sense? I know the continuity is kind of all over the place by the time you get to the new I mean, line movie. They movies. probably could have. I don't hate the remake. It has good qualities. Uh, having, I mean, Jason going back to his mommy issues and actually keeping a captive was interesting. The first what is it? Twenty minutes. It's it's the longest pre credits sequence in fucking film awesome. They set up the kills are brutal, everything's brutal. I mean, there's still some funny parts with like the douche you want to die comedy on that chick's tits while he's oh perfect nipple placement, and he's not wrong in any of that. Oh yeah, 
But it's so nice. Supernatural guy. Uh, whoever you said her name before, I don't. I don't care. <laughs> I don't know or care who what actress. Oh it was. Uh, fuck! Um, she's a she's a pop star. Um, and I'm I'm uh, Brittany Snow. Okay, there's she that. may be in a, a there Disney was some kills too, I, didn't, sure. I didn't like the bow and arrow kill on the lake for some I, reason. I don't. That doesn't bother me. It just. I just. It's this weird. I don't know. I like. I like. I mean, I did also like the doc. I mean, it had good kills. It was just missing like the secret ingredient. It was missing. I don't know. I, my my favorite moment of that of that movie. I know we're getting a little off topic, and we'll get yes. back on topic right in just a moment. Is is him using the girl in the sleeping bag over the fire as bait? I uh, fucking, fucking amazing. That's my favorite that. sequence. Love that. Of, yeah, absolutely. Love that. So, so they're not bad screenwriters. Um. Well, but doing the original continuity. No, it just just let it go. Honestly, they had to do something. Jesus. Yeah. I mean, Jason, as much as I, I, I will defend Jason X, uh, taking a continuity break for like something that happens in the future does kind of take the mystery away. Like, are they going to kill Jason? <laughs> no. <laughs> the strength of any Nightmare on Elm Street or Friday the 13th film is in its final girl. Freddy vs. Jason has the distinction of a character, Lori Campbell, surviving both horror heavyweights, a fear that has... <laughs> probably it's it's a feat that'll never happen again. No. Um we have Monica Kina as Lori Campbell. Now you probably know her from a few things. She was in Orange County. No. Uh, you never seen Orange County? <laughs> no. Oh wait, is that the it's, uh, Tom Hanks' Tom son Hanks. and uh, Okay, I forgot she was in I saw it once. Um she had a reoccurring role as Abby Morgan on Dawson's Creek. Uh, never saw my, one episode. Not my cup of tea. Uh, however, you may have seen this, and if you haven't, I really? highly recommend it. She played Rachel on the canceled before its time, undeclared, with Seth Rogen, who was in Knocked Up with Harold Ramis, who was in Ghostbusters. You just got busted again. Uh, I saw the original undeclared. I didn't watch the American remake. Oh, I didn't really realize it yeah, was. That's a British show. I didn't. They fringed it. Um, I it's think. A, it was really good. Jason Segel. I mean, basically, I mean, I'm the, sure it would have been. All the people from Freaks and Geeks. The kinda. only other thing I know her from is the Night of the Demons remake. And that is my final one yeah. on here where she is uh, uh, basically the protagonist. Uh, she survives to the end. And as a huge fan of the original movie, this uh, Night of the Demons remake, aside from the fact that it has a very lovely Tiffany Shepis in it, uh, or Tiffany Shepis, I'm slurring my words, um... I have to say, um, it doesn't do anything better. No. In fact, it does a lot of the same things worse. worse. But it has this awesome introduction from Edward Furlong's character where you see him in a a close-up shot and he's given like this like monologue and it pans out and you realize the entire time he's been saying this, he's been getting a blowjob. I mean, yeah. Great acting. (laughs) He's truly... uh, um, a renaissance man. A renaissance man. He needs to be in everything. In, in the strangest of ways, uh, it seems that Monica was destined to be in the film bef- because as a little girl, like eight, nine years old, uh, Monica feared Freddy Krueger so badly that her school teachers believed she was actually being abused at home. Because Jesus her, Christ. Because her behavior was so erratic, she was like losing weight and like you know, dark circles under her eyes and like we you know somebody would like try and pat her on the back and be like no nah, don't touch me <laughs> that kind of stuff that's horrible it is horrible um she had this to say about her fear of freddy i've only seen two horror movies in my entire life and one of them was a nightmare on elm street she's talking about the original yeah 
when I was about eight years old, it scared me so much I couldn't sleep for two or three months. I stopped eating, I got very skinny, and I looked sickly. I was having a panic attack at age eight. When it got dark, I would freak out. Now, reportedly, when she got into acting, she swore she would never appear in a horror film because she had this trauma and um, <laughs> she had dealt with sort of the Freddy issue like her entire life, but it's sort of ironic she would end up being the lead in the most anticipated slasher movie of yeah. all time. Her being in the film is was somewhat cathartic for her. She had this to say, I think my eight-year-old self would be really proud of me. I'm finally kicking the crap out of these guys. However, she hasn't always spoken positively about the movie. Following Freddy vs. Jason's release, Monica had very harsh words to say about the film, in particularly saying that she thought the screenplay was terrible and that she only really signed on the for the movie for the money and to raise her profile. Her saying the screenplay is terrible really stuck out to me because there are other times she has been kind of backhandedly complimentary about her character and the way it was written. Uh, she had this to say about her character. In many uh, horror movies from the past, the women have always just been sex objects. The only, uh, they only, they're only there to look pretty and get murdered. But my character is the leader and the strongest person in the group. I'm excited. It's an action movie. It's a very strong part for a young woman. I felt like Laura Croft. So, that's my question to you. Is her character as strong a person as she no. is saying it is? Right there at the end, when push comes to shove, her fight or flight, she chooses to fight and run. No, we're staying. I'm going to watch them. That's the only time she has shows any she, backbone in the entire she movie. She faints like twice or maybe three times in her, this movie. And, and I don't want to be mean, but now I feel less bad about my joke. Like only thing I remember about her really performance is her nice looking cleavage. Oh, uh, she was totally. She was one it. of the worst actresses in the whole. Freddy by fire, Jason by water. How do we use that? No, they they did cut her best line of the movie out. Freddy versus Jason, place your, your best. Okay. By, yeah. by the way, when uh, when they had the premiere for this movie, Quentin Tarantino went to the premiere and he was pissed. It's like, why did you cut that line out of the movie? It was the best part. He was like, I came to this schlock fest just to see that fucking line, and you cut it out of the movie. So, yeah. um, if you're gonna go schlock, fuck, go, go, go hard. Go full bore with it. Um, yeah, I kind of agree. I don't feel like her character is strong at all. Now, maybe she's positioning her viewpoint from that she does become the strong character at, at the, the end. end. But here's the thing, that's Pretty much every final girl. Yeah, all they, final girls come to that. I mean, they're they they all are kind of you know meek and um, sort of mild and uh, you know. And then they put on clothes to, and learn no kung fu from their dead brother spirits to rock <laughs> montages and go fight Freddy and make him look at a mirror. Hey, that's one I, of my favorite final girl montages ever. That, I fucking love Alice. Hell yeah. So much. And we got to get her on the podcast. Working on it. We'll see what happens when we do A Nightmare on Elm Street 5. Not looking forward to talking <laughs> oh, about God, that no. movie. It so, does have some interesting uh, aesthetics, I, but. Also, um, body doubles. <sighs> yeah. Anyway. The biggest plight in Hollywood. God damn it. And you should have to sign a contract. If you're going to be in a movie, if Harvey Cottel can show his dick in a movie, you can show your fucking boobies in a movie. God I mean, if you're going to be in a movie where boobies are shown, you shouldn't have to show your boobies to be in a movie. Well, no. But if you're in a fucking slasher movie, come on, show your boobies. And if Kathy Bates 
can show her tits in about Schmidt. Stop, I, I can I, only get so hard. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I just lost all the blood from my brain for a second. <laughs> Went down we'll, south. We'll, we'll table that discussion for, uh, for another Gilf. time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck I broke Brandon uh, Monica's star was on the rise when she made Freddy vs. Jason it's clear that she holds some resentment uh, towards it because she's primarily remembered for this movie and there's a subsect that remember for Undeclared and Dawson's Creek but this is the movie that if I ever meet her I'm only gonna be like oh my god you were in Night of the Demons remake just to be a dick she probably would appreciate that yeah, I hope you saw that um, do you think that this movie hurt her career? Honestly, with now knowing more of her background, it, it might have. This was still before being in slashers, you know, didn't hurt, and, you know, horror movie. This is before Ari Aster and A24 Elevated Horror. Thank you, Ari Aster, so hey, fucking much. I'm sorry, Hereditary is one of the best horror movies in 20 years. Hands down. And I, I, I really like... I like Midsommar. 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 Or Midsommar. I keep saying... Yeah, what, however you say it, I, I I like the weird fuck movie I, with drugs. I liked it, um, although I did laugh a lot, but we have really fucked up sense of, sense of humor. Yeah. But I, I feel like it did hurt her career, and I, I don't want to like make it seem like she's Meryl Streep or anything. No. But if you see her in some of these other She'd things... She's been fine on TV. She's, she's a perfectly comparable actress. I just feel like her her shortcomings, it's somewhat in the character development. They do kind of give her a backstory, but it plays I out. Re- it, it, it plays out later in the I'm, film. I'm still all hard up. I'm, I'm still a Gucci panty for somebody in eighth grade. <laughs> That's another. Hey, thing. hey, that was Jason Ritter, and he makes my panties wet. Uh, he, he, I'm a little moist too. <laughs> but yeah, I kind of feel like it probably did hurt her career. But yeah. I mean, at the same time, like you have to look at the track record. Uh, like how many fucking actresses had used the method she used to as a stepping stool to like another Jamie Lee project. Curtis much? Well, I was speaking more contemporarily yeah. of um, uh, Sydney from uh, Scream. I'm blanking on her name. Nev Campbell. Nev Campbell. God, my ja- boner from the 90s. That's the name Jennifer on my Jennifer Love Hewitt. Hell yeah. So That was on the underside I, I of my boner. I can't say that it was a bad tactic on her part to attempt this, but let's just be honest. It, it probably did hurt her career. Um, much like most of the cast, Monica was not the first choice for her role. Now, reportedly, both Brittany Murphy and Christina Ricci were considered for the role of Lori. Christina Ricci would have been too distracting. I, that's exactly Brittany what Murphy I was say. would have been great. She I wasn't. Know. She wasn't as well known. And God, she was so good. And I don't know that the script would have been good enough for her, but I feel like she could have made the most of what she had. That being said. There is an age range, and you and I both fall in it, that fell in love with Christina Ricci of being like the, the the goth girl of our childhood, and and I will forgive your enormous far- forehead that King Kong and Godzilla could you drag their balls. Shut your mouth. King we Kong, will fight. King Kong and Godzilla could drag their balls across that forehead all day long, and they would never touch, and it still would not stop me from loving her. I bought the movie Prozac Nation brand new. Have five. <laughs> because it was the first movie she did nudes. I paid $27 for that movie. Oh, man. We're on it's the... like just buy. I paid like $30 for Embrace the Vampire for Alyssa Milano. Oh, 
man. VHS, man. VHS. She has a lesbian scene in that movie. She was my literally my first crush. Alyssa Milano was my She's first crush. She's covered in tattoos now. That just makes me even harder. <laughs> Thank you so much, Alyssa Milano. Alyssa Milano, Christina Ricci, and Kathy Bates. I'm going to pass out. we got to move on. <laughs> All right. As the years went on, the you know the slasher trope of the single survivor began to wane, and it it became customary for there to be not only a final girl, but also a final boy or man, however you want to quantify it. Freddy vs. Jason has a final boy, and his name is He's Jason. He's a final man. Final man? What? Okay. Final man. <laughs> yeah. And his name is Jason Ritter. He plays the role of Will Rollins. Now, you may remember him as Randy and Swim Fan. Uh, he was in 45 episodes of a show called Joan of Arcadia, which I'm not familiar with, but evidently watch. was very uh, yeah, popular during his time. On, right. um, more contemporarily, uh, you would know him as uh, he played Jeb Bush in Oliver Stone's W, which is a great, great movie. movie. Great movie, and um, he has an entirely new fan base in the in the voice acting world. He played the role of Dipper Pines on Gravity Falls. Now, I haven't seen Gravity Falls. But I've been told it is as, a great show. As a Twin Peaks fan, I need to watch it because there's so many like Easter parallels eggs and parallels. And eggs. So I, I'm making a pledge right now. I will watch Gravity Falls, despite the fact that I hate fucking Disney. You but, gotta watch but I will it, check it out. to the end. It has one of the best endings for any cartoon show ever. I know they did a, the the creators did a really cool like Easter egg hunt or like a what do they cut geocaching I think where like Maybe, they did, yeah geocaching they did a they put like they hit a, a, a statue out somewhere and they gave clues to where it was and you had to put them all together and, oh, and cool. they finally found it. It's that seems interesting to me. It's very David Lynchian and like I'm gonna put a mystery out there and see who <laughs> solves it. Um. If you haven't figured it out, Jason Ritter is the son of John Ritter. John Tripper. R.I.P., man. R.I.P. from the much-loved Three's Company. I loved Three's Company growing Come up. Knock, knock, knock. Exactly. And you ever see uh, Stay Tuned? Hell yeah. Fucking That's on Tubi. love that movie. Yes, go check I it out on Tubi. To, I watched it like last week. Um, uh, Jeffrey Jones is also in that movie. I'm not so enthusiastic about his uh, yeah. activities. Yeah. Uh, you would think that John Ritter was the first choice uh, to play Will Jason because, Ritter. or Jason Ritter because John Ritter had appeared in Bride of Chucky. Bride of Chucky. I almost said Bride of Animator. Yeah. Um, that would not be the case. This connection uh, is sort of coincidental. Um, I don't know if you know this, but Brad Renfro was cast as Will. And he had to be replaced less than the week before shooting. Um, I got to play with Brad Renfro when he lived in Knoxville and was friends with my cousin Brian. I knew when he got the role for the client. It's funny you mentioned that because I also have a connection to Brad Renfro. We'll talk about it in just a moment. But to to lay it out, um, very talented child actor. He, He... he stunned. He was much like River Phoenix. Yeah, like he was just the hot kid, and he unfortunately fell into drugs. And he he showed up to uh, set, and he was so strung out that they severed ties with him. So Jason Ritter had signed up, you know, or did a, like a test screening or whatever. And Ronnie, you just like, no, nah, I don't like this guy. <laughs> but they needed somebody, so they threw him in. Um, Brad was from Knoxville, which is obviously right down the road from the Black Lodge, and one of my childhood friends, 
by the name of Jesse Hasick was Brad's cousin. Oh. Um, oddly enough, uh, he's kind of famous. I don't know if you're familiar with the band Ten Years. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's not an original member, but he's like their singer much after the fact. I haven't talked to him since like the, I want to say maybe like the late 90s, but uh, yeah, all the time. Me and Jay Smith went to the last, it was, they were opening for Nonpoint, but Ten Years, it was their last show in Knoxville before they were going to record their major label album, and we went to their house party. I'm not sure that he was in the band at that point. I, I'm, I'm not really sure. I was very I, drunk that night. Uh, I just remember You were drunk up. every night. Cheers, my friend. <laughs> Cheers. We'll do it. Hold on. Is there <laughs> any more? Whatever's, whatever's, whatever's left, we're going to chug uh, what we got. We're gonna, we're I gonna remember dr- being on the balcony at Blue Cats, hearing them play... Uh, something in the air tonight. I'm like Phil Collins and charge drunkenly down the stairs for non. We're gonna we're gonna drink this to Brad Renfro. To Brad Renfro. But the way I know Jesse is, um, he was one of my childhood friends. Like not best friends, but like yeah, friend. The friend that you knew, and I went to all his birthdays growing up, and I can't remember exactly what year. Like ninety, ninety one, ninety two, somewhere around in that general area. I went to his birthday, and Brad was there. Now, I didn't know Brad from fucking anybody, you know. He was just a kid, and we played fucking, uh, I want to say, and I might be, I may be misremembering, but I think we played Battletoads in the NES. Um, I'm big around that time, so. so. I, I'm fairly certain, you know, time has gotten away from me. But uh, I, I was friends with uh, with Jesse for, like, you know, for years, and then like I, th- I want to say he moved to to Mar- not Maryville, but uh, ah oh, fuck, um, Blaine, maybe like somewhere, somewhere out else. But he's from Knoxville originally, and so I mean, like that's my brush with with Brad Renfro. I played Nintendo with him one time. Um, we played Legos. My cousin Brian lived up the road. They were around the same age group. They kind of met up. We went down. Want to come meet my friend? Okay. We played Legos. This was. They were talking about him, like having auditions and stuff. This was like right before well, the client. I want. I want to talk about that because that's basically when I re- like at the point when it was like in the newspapers, and I remember my aunt be like, "That boy, you know, he's gonna be in a movie," and I'm like, what? "Okay, who?" <laughs> Like you were at his birthday party, and and there's pictures, and like I I have not been to my parents' house much this year. I really need to go and like look through our photo albums. Why do you love your parents? Why, why I it, I do love my parents. Why? My job prevents me from loving my You're parents properly, <laughs> but I need to I need to search through our um our uh, almost our record albums, our photo albums, <coughs> and uh, I'll put that up on Twitter if I can find it. But it, okay. it's it's out there in the ether, you know, somewhere. So Jason Ritter. Uh, well, before we get to that, oh. what do you think? Do you think Brad Renfro would have been good in this role? He he never really got rid of a southern accent. It would have been distracting. It wouldn't have fit. Yeah, I mean, I'd say. I mean, I'm not saying he's a bad actor, but he never got rid of that accent, yeah, and it Ohio is very yeah southern sounding no. dialect. Um, I, it would have been cool. To they say, could have wrote him in. Oh, ever when I moved up from Tennessee, you're the girl I've, I've met, and I love you know something like that could have explained it away. Yeah. But, but they weren't going to do that. No. The movie had too much plot. Too much. Um, Will's character arc is that he's placed into Weston Hills, which debuted in, back in part three. 
um, because he quote unquote saw, saw Lori's father kill her mother. In fact, it was Freddie behind the whole scenario. And the cops and the doctors and the local government are kind of all in on this. So they swept him away, committed him in an effort to suppress the knowledge of Freddy as a measure to prevent him from having the power to kill. Not the worst idea. I mean, it's, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's not great, but it, it worked for a while. Now, canonically, the events of Freddy versus Jason takes place a few years after Freddy's dead. This personally doesn't add up. To no, me. what? Because there, there's no kids in Springwood. Dead can't fit in the canon with oh, this. Okay, well here I'm. I'm going to see if I can a little bit of head cannon here to see if I can okay. make 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 this work. Does it make sense for Freddy's versus uh, Freddy versus Jason to take place before Freddy's dead? And here's here's why I'm going to say that the entire plot of Nightmare on Elm Street Five revolves around Freddy needing the dreams of a baby to, to kill people to kill people because he's you know that he was defeated by the dream master um in this in this time because he's unsuccessful unsuccessful in yes. part five he doesn't get jacob um so he doesn't have a a direct means to like afflict teens and then the few that you know that maybe he can they've been given hypnosil and with Freddy's power restored after Freddy versus Jason and Jason, you know, out of the picture back to Crystal Lake. Back to fucking Joyzy. It could kind of give him the ability to Start wipe, to wipe out the population. So that's my question. Like, does this make sense to you? Am I, I know the timeline can canonically like for dates really doesn't work. But to me, from a logistical standpoint, it makes more sense. Do they date Freddy's dead? Because doesn't it say just near future. You're probably right. I think on but, the little radar. But I, but I think in the actual quote unquote Nightmare on Street timeline, wow. like Freddy versus Jason is supposed to take place five years after the, after the events of that, which definitely doesn't no. make any sense. Well, that town bounced back hard. They, I mean, they, good, they good on them. <laughs> they adopted a bunch of kids from, like, neighboring <laughs> towns. Stalked a whole high school, at least. <laughs> um, I, I, that, That's how, the only way I can make sense We're just going to put it, hey, here's what you've always said. Freddy doesn't make sense. <laughs> like, <laughs> it really doesn't. It doesn't. It really doesn't. But, I, but it's nice to kind of like to put things into perspective and be able to make sense of things that don't make sense. Well, now so I'm for just going to put Freddy's dead after Freddy versus Jason. Okay. It is law. It is decreed by, by the Ren Army. We have declared. So, whatever canon you subscribe to, Freddy versus Jason has an alternate ending that presents the character of Will in a completely different light. Have you seen the alternate yeah. ending? What do you think about it? I don't like it. I don't like it either, and it would have made more sense as the ending of a Nightmare on Elm Street movie, but at the same time, it still would have been a really weak ending. And I and the first one that comes to mind, I love, I know people don't like part two, and go back in our archive, check out JuicyKruger.com to check our comprehensive... Uh, we did a really good job Retrospective for Nightmare on Elm Street 2, featuring an interview with Jack Shoulder. By the way, um, shout out to Tony from Hack the Movies, who gave us some audio from this episode. I am currently trying to broker a deal between Jack Shoulder and Tony from Hack the Movies to do an episode on Wishmaster 2. So I'm hoping, hint, hint, Tony, hint, hint, <laughs> give us some press for hooking you up if this happens to come to pass. But that's a great episode. But the the point I want to try to make is that 
it has a really nice um, beginning and end. It kind of like uh, comes Book full ends. circle. When the ending of that movie uh, is is uh, nothing spectacular, but it makes sense for the plot of the movie, yeah. and it leaves you uh, not in a position of like knowing where it's going to go. And I feel like this movie, uh, the ending that they shot with Will and you know the Freddy glove and, and all that. Like I don't know. I, I like it better where either Freddy has been vanquished and the next movie has to explain away like how are we going to bring him back or there's just enough of like uh, a, like a hint of like Freddy's still out there. And to me, that was a little too blatant that Freddy had survived the onslaught. And apparently just and, fine, still strong enough to kill. Yeah, I don't know. It, it didn't, oh, it didn't oh, work no. for me. And a, evidently, I'm glad they cut it. Evidently, it didn't work for for the studio either because that's what caused the, uh, the, you know, the, reshoot. the, the reshoots. And we got the ending that we got, which we'll talk about later on. Uh, with the protagonist uh, being properly established, we have to look to the first of our villains in his final big screen appearance as the Springwood slasher Robert England as Freddy Krueger. Now, rather than go into great detail about Robert's career on this episode, um, we've done I'm gonna, it. I'm sure. I'm going to I'm going to direct you back to our Nightmare on Elm Street four episode, which I'm pretty sure we covered. Oh and, yeah. And 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 if you want, uh, like I said before, not to harp on part two, but really, that's I think is our best episode. It's definitely top three. It doesn't have fucking Eddie on it. It definitely doesn't. Fuck you, State Dick Eddie. Damn it. No. Number one episode, though, Halloween 4. But for a better episode, check out our Hammer yeah. Street episode. Um, we're we're not going to go into depth about his, his filmography. He's a horror icon. You, you He's know great. It, you know it. Um, we're going to... Uh, we're going to talk about the We're going to talk about the... Last hurrah oh. of Freddy in a movie because I mean, for he was on the Goldbergs. He was in the Goldbergs, <laughs> but as far as like a film appearance, this is the final appearance of Freddy, especially in the continuity of that original series. Um, was this the best way to send off Robert, or or was New Nightmare the best way to send him off? Like I like this movie, but I don't say think one of my big gripes in this is Freddy's treatment. I do like his frustrations of Jason killing and taking his kills and being pissed about that. But at the same time, he kills one person on screen, kinda, and even then you just see the slash is not him killing. And then, like, one in flashback, it, it was weak sauce. It was just, just super weak on I, treatment. I feel like, character-wise, he gets... A few moments to really shine. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, you couldn't make this movie without Robert England. No. And when, when we get to Ken Kersinger and Jason, we'll, we'll talk about the importance of, like, you know, not just putting a stuntman in the, in the role of, of Jason. That's not knocking Ken. Spoiler. Uh, but you can't make this movie without him. But I do feel lacking in the sense that it that he doesn't. Uh, it it was bound to be underwhelming in the sense that you have to split your time between two killers. Yeah. But I feel like the, what he gets is good. But yeah, he he should have had more kills. There there should have been more more thing going on uh, for him to uh, to accomplish. 
Um, do you think the movie was a fair trade off between Freddy and Jason? Um, I mean, it's basically a Freddy uh, movie where Jason does all the Jason killing. Jason does all the killing. I mean, screen time-wise, yeah, no problem with that. And even the way it's still divided up because Freddy is the character. Freddy talks. Freddy has motives. Jason just kills. So just put him on the screen to kill. You know, I mean, there's a little bit of the flashbacks and all the, the dream sequences where he's little. So that's all he needs. Give Freddy all the talking, the motivation, the, the gags, we the know. fucking pot smoking uh, <laughs> centipede thing. From was, Alice in Wonderland. That was great. There was a lot more emphasis on uh, kind of building up the Jason aspect in the in the original script, and that got cut because they kind of understood that they they have to balance these characters. So basically, th- this is a Nightmare on Elm Street movie guest starring Jason, and it's also a Nightmare on Elm Street movie where Freddy doesn't really kill anybody. It's unsatisfying... But the one thing that I have to say that is absolutely satisfying is the the two brawls we get between oh, the two four yeah. heavy, heavyweights. Now, there's one I prefer over the other. Let's talk about the 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 first one: um, Freddy versus Jason in the Dream World. Uh, what's your pros for this? Uh, the fucking Freddy pinball. The the fucking. Uh, Jason coming, what? This isn't working, you know? I'd like Jason completely dominating and toying with, or Freddy completely dominating and toying with Jason in his realm. Super fun. But then being stymied because he won't fucking die. I don't have a problem with the pinball. I hate, I, oh. the, the CGI is, yeah, is, the CGI is, the CGI is really bad. Um, but that, that aspect was fine with me. My favorite part about this entire exchange is Freddie doing the jack off motion. No, you know, yeah. like, that makes me laugh every time. And, and, um, we had a discussion and this, I had never thought about this. And this is a callback to our, our previous episode of Rob Zombie's Halloween. And Eddie brought this up. Michael and, and Jason are virgins. And I had never thought about, I had never thought about Jason in that light before. And Freddy obviously Freddy is. Fucks. Freddy obviously is. I don't like not. what he fucks, you know. But oh, I I am of. Well, the, he's had a kid too. I so do. He's I had do, to at least have some legal. I do prescribe to the the thought that Freddy was a child molester and a killer, just this? because just because they do not. Uh, lay it out that way specifically. It's one of the best things about the it, remake. It's in her. It's inherited. Yeah, and that's a, that it, made it, me uncomfortable. It was uncomfortable. You're going to speak more highly of that movie than I will. Fuck you. But, but Jackie Earl Haley was was decent. That's all in the I role. really defend. But the and micro dreams. I, the aspect of of Jason being. Uh, Basically, being called a jackoff has a new a new light to me because of that revelation. Because, well, I mean, his hand is always got, and then fucking Freddy chops his fingers off later on in the movie. So, what's he doing now? No, Using his elbow? I, I gotta stop. Ever since he was killed in part four, when he's brought back in part six, he's got zombie dick. <laughs> zombie Jason's not zombie beating it. 
And maybe in his dreams, his soul can, but the, like, zombie... Fi- so you're telling, me, you're telling me, in, <coughs> in all that time of, like, dream purgatory or, like, or hell or he's wherever he was... He's had wet spiritual dreams, but there's nothing, like, his nuts he's not, brought up. He's not touching himself. Maggots have shot the, out then, the, okay. The, the devil is allowing people to, to manipulate his penis, and he, he doesn't have the... I'm just talking physiology. Oh, maybe in his purgatory, yeah, he's fine to do it there. I'm just talking, like, in the canon... Every time he's physically alive, killing people as Zombie Jason, he can't jack it. That's why he's so mad and always killing people. Um, because he's a, a weird rabbit hole to go down. Oh, man. Does Jason masturbate? Let us know down in the comments below. Part two, Jason definitely masturbated all over that sweater you know, chick, chick put on. Oh, fucking that Jenny, was his Jenny Fields. I would... I won't, I won't say what. I'll, I'll, I'll save that for when we do part two. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do have some negative things about the first fight. Um, I prefer the second one, which, oh, we'll, which we'll talk about yeah. when we get to Jason. Because th- this one is a little more Freddy leaning, and I'm a Jason apologist. But some of the things I dislike, and we touched on, is uh, the CGI is pretty dated. Um, it was some of it was decent for 2003, and then there are other parts of it that stick out like a sore thumb. Um, I don't dislike the Jason pinball sequence, but the CGI really hurts it. Um, I'm not crazy about the giant boiler uh, thing falling on Jason. It's not the act of it happening. It's that it definitely doesn't have any weight to yeah, it. Yeah, you can look, tell. It, it kind of even bounces a little. It looks like, like a styrofoam prop, and that's what I didn't like about it. Um, we're going to talk about the second fight, uh, but first got to introduce the other competitor we have in this slasher uh, competition, that being the man behind the mask. We have Ken Kurzinger making his debut as Jason Voorhees. Or do we? Um, he appeared in Wrong Turn 2, directed by Joe Lynch. Um, pretty movie. pretty decent uh, slasher uh, film. He was in Joe, uh, Joyride 3. Uh, Ken has had a few acting roles, but he's primarily known for his stunt work, which includes this stacked card of Superman 3, Stephen King's It, Happy Gilmore, 13 Ghosts, X-Men 2 and 3, the remake of The Fog, which is dirty, 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 dirty horse shit, uh, The Incredible Hulk, Watchmen, The Cabin in the Woods, and he was also the stunt coordinator on 48 episodes of The X-Files. Being Canadian, that makes absolute sense. However, it was Ken's work as a stuntman on Friday the 13th Part 8 that landed him the role eventually for this film. So... He appears in the film as the guy in the diner, and Kane Hodder picks him up and throws him into uh, the glass mirror yeah. behind it. But there's actually one scene where he is Jason in the costume, and I guess it was because they they uh, the bonding company wasn't comfortable with Kane doing the stunt, which is strange. It's like you he's hire, a fucking stunt you, man and you, stunt coordinator. You hire a stunt man to do the work on these movies, yet then you get scared about him doing stunts so the scene where they're in the alleyway which is toronto but it's supposed to be oh York, yeah and the cop car runs into jason evidently that is ken kurzinger wow. and he he went in to uh basically do be the stunt coordinator on this film because they filmed a lot in vancouver and through whatever means he ended up becoming jason now before we discuss the pros and cons of Ken, we have to talk about the the most discussed topic, probably into the yes. ground by this point, Kane Hodder being recast as Jason. Um, Kane Hodder was uh, 
one of the first horror icons I ever met. Um, I met him so regularly that he, and then by now he definitely doesn't remember me, but I, there was like a two or three year period where I saw him so much he remembered my name. He would give me free autographs. In fact, it's actually not over here. It's somewhere somewhere else in the Black Lodge. I have a couple of autographs that are, uh, I think it's actually in my bedroom, that are autographed that were just free because uh, he, you know, he either put up with me or pretended to like me. It's, it's hard to tell with Kane. Um, but he's a really, really nice guy, and he took playing Jason very seriously. So with that uh, groundwork being laid... It was a shock to a lot of people when Kane didn't end up reprising his role. How do you feel about Kane being recast? Okay, for the okay, I love Kane Hodder. Kane Hodder is Jason. There's no better Jason. But for this movie, the way shots are lined up, the passivity of Jason just as a wild dog killer, Kane's super aggressive. They would have been awesome in the last fight. That would have been a great time to have Kane Hodder, but in the rest, he's just there to kill. He's mommy's leading him. I go kill. There's people to kill. It's not that uber aggressive, just hulking, deep breath, just oh god, I'm gonna kill you, Kane Hodder, Jason. Plus, and in a weird aesthetic ways, like you know when he's at the party and comes on the two guys, or comes up to the two guys. He doesn't come on them because he can't jack off because he's a zombie. <laughs> <laughs> Call back. <laughs> yeah. Kane is thicker. Like, this dude's wide and huge. It's just Kane's body type is weird. Like, it framed... I think Ronnie liked the way his body framed up better to people. So, for his visual style, it would have been still been great with Kane, don't get me wrong, but for Ronnie Yu's vision of it, I think Ken Kersinger did as well as could be expected. I, I, I... Just from the director's visual style... And the, plus, it's good to have that size. Like the thing that that positively I can say about Kane is that because he had played the, the role so much, is that he he had a understanding of the character on a deeper than script level. And uh, going back to part eight, there in the script there was a scene where he was supposed to kick a dog off of a pier, and he refused to do that. It's like Jason wouldn't be bothered by kicking a dog because the dog is not a target and i feel like kane would have been more outspoken about some of these things in continuity with the previous film um so i i i don't want to be the straw man but man i i just this kane should have been jason in this movie i i can't i can't see this movie in any other way it was that that was who for years, it was going to be. I, I feel like that they they made a mistake, and you know everybody's entitled to their opinion. But um, I know that you can separate uh, Jason and Kane, and 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 decidedly so throughout the series. Multiple people have played that role, but Jason was was personified by Kane, and that he took it more seriously as an acting role than a lot of the previous guys and that trend started with uh cj graham in part six but i i feel like at that point to me kane hodder was as synonymous with jason as maybe a step down from robert as freddie and you can't make the freddie versus jason movie without robert 
So if you have to sacrifice somebody, it's obviously going to be Cain, but I, I, I don't know. I, I just, I, I feel like they, they made a mistake, and you're I fully agree. I mean, I, 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 I feel every one of your opinions. I'm just trying to look at it a bit more. I, I, and I agree with what you're saying. Yeah. I, I don't even disagree with it in the least, but I, I feel like, fuck, man, like. So let's just address the. the elephant in the room who is to blame for Kane not being recast because you get eight different sides of the story like it's gone down the line of like you know it was executives and it was you know Jeff Katz and and Ronnie Yu and they've all like shot arrows at one another of you know deflecting the blame um I have my choice for who I know is responsible, but who do you, who do you I would think? I see the director more than anybody. What? I believe it was Jeff Katz, and that's specifically from things that he has directly said. Now, he's he is deflected because the backlash was pretty harsh. You know, this is before Twitter, but, you know, back then, IMDb message <laughs> yeah. boards and things like that were like, why the fuck would you recast? Um, but I, I do feel like that Jeff Katz, uh, who oh, I'll give full credit to, started out as like an intern and worked his way up through um, New Line, but he uh, he just he had a different vision of Jason, and uh, he he certainly had a more of an incentive on the Freddy end than he did on the Jason. So I, to me, it feels like this that was all kind of padded out to make Jason more of a caricature and and uh, to lean it a little more in Freddy's direction. Um, you're out there in the Rand Army, you're free to your viewpoint, but that's that's my viewpoint. And for the record, Kane Hodder is not my favorite Jason. Ted White is my favorite Jason. But as far as like the way the character had evolved, I, to me, like I feel like that he was the I obvious like the choice to be in the movie. talk about Corey Feldman. Oh, well, he was an old Jordan, cowboy. Yeah, he just hated kids. Well, I mean, Corey Feldman was probably, you know, probably on drugs by the <laughs> I was in Fox and the Hound, bitch. I get these hookers I was John here. Wayne Stuntman. You shut the fuck up. <laughs> but, I don't know, this is a complete yeah. tangent. Did you know that Ted White yeah. was a uh, stuntman in Creature from the Black Lagoon? I think I heard it like somewhere God, random. That's fucking. It's so random that like you have. I mean, like a letter, a ladder era Universal monster end up playing Jason. We'll, we'll stop that tangent. We'll save it for another day because we do plan on doing final chapter eventually. My favorite uh, of the final yeah, my favorite. Um, the other aspect uh, to the Ken's uh, being cast as Jason. He's six foot five, making him. The tallest actor to play Jason to date. How do you feel about Jason being so tall? I like it. I think it works for, again, for this movie. If you're out in the woods and camping and there's not huge collections of people, you don't need a tall Jason like that. But in the context of this movie, especially during like the cornfield party and other places where there are more people, especially against Robert Englund, when he has a specific, actual, worthy opponent, for him to physically and be imposing, where it, it does Robert make, has the mental edge, I like that like difference. It does make for a good visual. <coughs> I'm, I'm not going to disagree with you in that. However, when anytime you see shots of Jason's feet, it completely takes me out of the movie because he's wearing 
fucking platform Frankenstein's You're monster just me boots. Short. I am short. <laughs> I am Wolverine proud, my friend. Um, but there's only a couple of inch. He needs arch difference. supports. So maybe, maybe all the, he had to walk all the way from New Jersey to Ohio. You how hard that is on zombie feet? You're probably right. I I completely apologize. <laughs> Thanks. Good night, folks. <laughs> but um, there's really not that much difference in the height between Ken Kerzinger and and uh, Kane Hodder. Uh, the difference was made in those platform boots. So if from Ronnie wanting a taller actor, I mean, fuck, just just give Kane bigger boots. I I don't know. I I, I struggle to to come to, to understand other than him wanting someone less wide. That's all I, I, I think it is. It's a lot of the aesthetics. Like it's it's his body doesn't bulge out in different ways. It like it's it's not slim. He's fucking huge. But it's like consistent. I think that's what Ronnie wanted for his shots. Well, I mean, if, if that's the case, then uh, he chose wisely um, for what little, little of the actual choosing process he may or may not have been involved in. Um, final battle. This is the highlight of the movie. Fuck yeah. This is why you bought the ticket. Um, to me, this was uh, everything you could have wanted uh, from just the, the 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 title. This this is the part of the movie that lives up to the title. You Freddy versus Jason. Jason is uh, pulls well. Freddy is pulled out of the dream world by Monica Kina's character, Lori. But then Jason takes it from there, and it's like Roadrunner cartoon <laughs> yeah. violence from that point on. I mean, cranks to a uh, ridiculous blood spurting degree. The look on Freddy's face when he realizes what's about to go down is probably one of my highlights of the movie, and he just beats him through the fucking windows <laughs> and just oh yeah, where he like picks his yeah, body up and just runs him through, through the, the uh, entire uh, side of a cabin. Oddly enough, when uh, if, uh, Ronnie was coming up with his like his vision for this movie, he equated it to the WWE. And uh, as a lifelong wrestling fan, um, I, I can't say that that's even an invalid direction to take it in. But this is so fucking farther over the top than anything ridiculous you would have seen in like the late 90s or 2000 of wrestling. Maybe it's like the Japanese extreme wrestling. The, yeah. the, 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 I think they would blush at the, the ridiculousness of all this. Um, my Some of my favorite parts, the the steel bars that Freddie knocks oh, down from yeah. the construction site. Piercing. That, that is just so fucking gnarly. Um, Jason has his fingertips chopped off. I and can't he, hold the machete. He, he drops the machete and he has that look like, what, what the fuck? The? I, I, really, I really liked that. Um, one aspect of the the way that Jason is portrayed in this movie that I don't really like, with the exception of that shot right there, is I, to me Jason is more of a personification, and the less you see of his eyes, the better. Um, and obviously, Ronnie wanted to kind of paint him in a more sympathetic, yeah. sympathetic kind of way, and he has that droopy eye, so he kind of looks like a sad puppy dog. Um, but I would have preferred Jason's eyes not to be shown. But in that instance. 
where you get that close up of his hands and he's looking at it like, oh fuck, like that's great. That was that's a nice little levity moment to kind of you know reset you for like the moments that are coming. If we're talking about levity moments when fucking Freddy shooting like oxygen canisters <laughs> so or whatever, strange. like gas canisters for welder, and like I was like, oh my god, they're really doing that. This is it's so it's so stupid, but in like the best way possible. Yes. And then just the the savage, like right there where they're just hacking and slashing on the pier, blood. I can't remember. Does he does he cut Freddy's arm off or does he rip it? I think he, I think he rip, rips it off, and then he stabs Hats him with his own of... fucking arm. That that was that was great. I, I really enjoyed that. Um, uh, so yeah, the second the second fight is my favorite. Uh, do, you, do you prefer it over the first? Oh, one? Oh, easily. Yeah, that's the best part of the whole movie. Um, the final fight to me is. It met all my expectations. Definitely the highlight of the movie. And if I was going to recommend this movie to anybody, it wouldn't be for the story. It's for no. the, it's the the singularity of this moment. Um, but also the lead up uh, to not only the fight but just the the promotion was just absolutely terrific. What? Did you ever see the Freddy versus Wayne? Jason way? Hell yeah, that was great. One of the first things I can ever remember seeing video on line was was this way in and uh i just remember being so excited i I was like i was probably like 2001 or no it was 2000 it's 2002 i was a senior in high school and this was like the the year before and uh, i had a some kind of computer class and we had limited internet access and i remember like we would like see what what will and won't work and five t's would bring up a website that show tits it's like tttttt.gov <laughs> or something <laughs> but i somehow managed to get it on to this it was actual an actual freddy versus jason yeah. like website set up and and they had this video that was like you know the size of a credit card and i'm like oh my god Freddie and Jason, they're splitting off. But it was so cool. Uh, Michael Buffer was there and, you know, introduced it like, you know, like an actual weigh-in for like a like a UFC or a boxing fight. It was just, it was a cool piece of promotion, which has always been lacking from these movies. Like, they've never done, like, grand things to kind of drum up interest. And I, I felt like that there was a, a lot of built-in kind of uh, fan base for this. But I think this attracted the eyes of people who maybe on the periphery wouldn't have cared normally. Do you think that's the case? Oh, absolutely. So promotion, I give an A plus for this movie. Um, advertising budget for this movie was probably, probably more than some of the <laughs> movies Prior entirely. Entries, yeah. So having two horror heavyweights in the same film means double the body count, or at least it should. Uh, Freddy versus Jason is no exception. So let's check out our very long list of victims. All right, victim number one. Our first victim, you could argue, doesn't actually count as a kill because she dies in Jason's dream. But for the sake of argument, we'll allow it. I'm going to allow it because it gives the a whole setup, a backstory, like a little scene, just because right after she... Uh, everything up to her morphing, all the teenagers, we deserved it, we should have, you know... It's, it's set up like a good horror movie kill. Well, the very beautiful Odessa Monroe, who we mentioned before, who shows her very lovely memories, is pinned to a tree by Jason's machete. I gave this a 3 out of 10. Now, the reason I gave this such a low kill is this is the first real kill of the movie, and 
I expect more from Jason. You, you give something like visceral to kind of like establish it, and I, I feel like they had to uh, they backload or front loaded the movie so much with Freddy. Like I don't know, this was a little underwhelming from Jason. Well, I, I'm I'm just slightly higher. I'll give it a five out of ten, but I'll, I'll disagree a little bit to your point. It establishes like a basic canon Jason kill. You know, it's nothing crazy. He kills campers in the woods with a machete. It, it establishes who he is and <sighs> yeah, what he does. Yeah, but he could put a harpoon gun through someone's junk. That, that didn't happen until, like, part four. <laughs> so, we're going just... <laughs> Fair enough. All right, number two. After engaging in sexual activity with the beautiful Catherine Elizabeth, or mm-hmm. sorry, Catherine Elizabeth, Catherine Isabel, uh, Trey, who is played by Jesse Hutch, uh, gets stabbed with a machete. Then he has his back broken when Jason folds the bed in half. Memorable as hell. Ten, ten out, out of ten. Of I ten. agree completely. Like, especially, you know, I remember sitting there in the theater and being a little surprised where the gut started coming through, like, the wound at the end. And, like, wow, they really did that. And I, then it, the bed fold. It, mm. As much as I wanted Mwah. to dock points because of the, the weird shutter step effect that Ronnie yeah. uses. I just couldn't do it. This was inventive. This is everything I love about a slasher movie. And it's the guy you really just hate. Everything I actually have a, I have a point about that. The character of Trey is the perfect example of the type of character you want to see get killed. He's a complete asshole. And his dialogue only enforces that, you know... That when he's wanting sex, you know, then, I don't like to be touched after. Well, that's that's <laughs> after the fact, but yeah. if he he basically tells Gib to come upstairs, like, babe, don't make me ask you twice. Yeah, what it. a prick! So you're kind of glad to see him get killed. Now, if he had been the first kill, I I still would have given this a ten, but I would I would have a little asterisk on it because I feel like the first first person that gets killed is somebody that you don't want to get killed just to, to yeah. lay the emotionality in there but this is what I was talking about with the first kill like it's so impactful like holy fuck this guy is not to be fucked with so um, whoever came up with this kill I, I can't say enough and those persons would be uh, the two gentlemen who wrote this film oddly enough did you know that the execs in New Line didn't want them to make this they didn't want this scene for whatever reason, they because they, they're they, stupid. They are stupid. They had objections to it, and it took uh, uh, Mark Swift and Damian Shannon literally acting it out for Ronnie, for Ronnie to get it, for Ronnie to be able to go to bat, for them to be able to shoot it. So uh, kudos to Ronnie for realizing like this was the highlight of the movie as far as like people being killed, yeah. not Freddie or Jason. Um, but yeah, absolute 10 out of 10. One of my favorite kills of either series. Hell yeah. I mean, it's up there. Uh, number three, we have the character of Brent Chapman, uh, who plays the father of Blake, who is the friend of Trey. He has his head severed off by Jason. (laughs) Neatly with no blood. It it happens off screen. And, um, uh, Blake has, who has awoken from a dream where, you know, Freddy is terrorizing him and you get a really bad CGI shadow. But there's a nice goat there to kind of tie you back to the first movie. Um, he wakes up, uh, you know, kind of like passed out on the porch, and he he looks over, and his father is there, and he kind of reaches over to touch his shoulder, and the head falls off, and just geysers of blood pours yeah. out. Um, this makes me laugh every time. I gave it a six out of ten. I gave it like a two out of ten. I just can't stand. Like it's great, and it does make me laugh, but the kill it like makes. N- 
even for movies that don't make sense, the head is already completely severed. If Jason would have walked up and then lopped it off or done something, but it's already, he's no, already I, dead, I, it's I, already off. I'm not going to argue your logic. I respect your viewpoint, but I can tell you in the theater, um, oh, I, 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 was, I was really digging the movie at this point, and I got a great giggle out of that. A little bit of trivia about uh, Brett Chapman. Uh, he also has a small role in Halloween Resurrection, making him one of the few uh, people to have, you know, roles in multiple, yeah. uh, terrible, terrible movie, yeah. uncontested, but still cool that he kind of got to tangle with both Freddie Jason and Michael. Yeah. Uh, number four, Blake's stunned silence. It wouldn't last for long. While holding his father's decapitated head, he backs into Jason, who slashes him with his machete off screen. All we see is a splash of blood hit the side of the house. I gave this a 5 out of 10. I would have ranked it higher if we'd actually seen the kill, but artistically, it probably is better uh, cinematically that you don't. Uh, what do you think about this? 4 out of 10. You know, again, I like the, the splash. I would like to seen it. It's uh, the whole, I'm gonna get him, Trey, swear to fucking God. Get it, Dad, I just lost my friend. Like, the dad's fussing at him, like, in the <laughs> scene before. Nothing about, like, like, I want him to die, too. Yeah, he was he, way. he was a total dick. Oh yeah, fuck yeah. that. He's he's uh trying to hit on Lori um in her house and you know, drinking his booze, so his undoing was uh very enjoyable. So number five and number six. You gotta fast forward because we have a, a gap where we've got for a plot. For plot. <laughs> um we're in full full swing of uh the kids uh, now being fully aware that a couple of their friends have died so they decide that they're going to go take a trip and have a rave at a I mean, that's what you do um Catherine Isabel who you probably best uh remember at, from the super underrated Ginger Snaps I I yeah. spent years like I'm not watching this movie same a, thing a female werewolf I watched movie. it like a year ago it's really good it really is really good especially considering the time frame that it was made now, due to the murder of her boyfriend, she decides to go to a party and you know, there's a rave and to numb her pain with uh, alcohol and perhaps other substances we don't see, um, which she does a little too well. She passes out drunk, and while passed out drunk, she's being pursued by Freddy, and and they're in a corn silo that shifts into uh, you know the. That's a great scene with like the broken tray. I'm done one day and you're already... Oh, yeah, he holds his head yeah, up. Yeah, he's holding his head up. Don't make me ask you twice. That whole scene, Freddy Fowler. Oh, and, and she says, Trey, I cannot believe it. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I I laughed out loud during that part, but watching it back this past time, I was actually kind of taken back. Like, well, she's 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 actually a really good actress. Yeah. Uh, I, she's probably the best uh, female actress in the in the film. Not knocking anybody else. Um, not named Kelly Rowland, who sucks. Yeah. Um, but, you know, she's being pursued. The corn silo turns into Freddy's boiler room. And at the same time, some douche raver kid who... I didn't even bother looking up his actual name. I, I hate fucking fucking rave kids so much and rapists he, yes he yes he he he's basically taking advantage of a uh a passed out. passed out girl and he's going to you know thrust his glow sticks inside of her figuratively and literally and and jason being the gentleman <laughs> the, yeah. that only he can be he he finds this big like uh piece of metal piping off of like the farm equipment or the silo and uh 
He impales them both, and this is uh, evocative of the scene between Jeff and Sandra from part two. Um, it's only that the, the sex is not consensual yeah. during this scene. And Jason flips the fucking raver kid up. It's so fucking Looney Tunes because he like shoots, you know, 30 feet up in the air. Um, what did you give this, uh, this kill? I gave it like a seven out of 10 because, and it's, uh, this is kind of unfair and biased, but like you do too. Honestly, from Freddie's reaction when she dies, no, no, she was mine. And then, like, holy shit. Like, you know, I, the whole essence is a two for like three and a half and three and a half that equals seven. <laughs> seven out of ten. I gave it an eight out of ten. Oh, okay. <clears throat> because I hate rave kids. Yeah. I hate them so fucking much. Um, and that's another guy that, like, yo, you want to see that guy killed. And it's collateral damage that Gib gets killed. It kind of, if I were to, like, really dwell on it, I probably would knock points off because Gib is one of the characters that you, you like a little more. But she broke horror movie rules, man. She had sex and drank. Yeah, it's true. Um, she actually has one of my favorite mo- uh, moments in the movie when uh, they, they they find Trey's body and they run outside. And what the, do you think? What the fuck do you think? Yeah. Your hands are bloody. That she's great in that moment. Uh, a little bit of trivia uh, about uh, her involvement with this movie. Um, the biggest problem that occurred on set uh, was a fight between director Ronnie Yu and Catherine Isabel, who plays Gib. Uh, she had signed on to the film. Under the promise that there would be no nudity, like whatsoever, it was in her script. And of course, like every great schlock director, yeah. he got her on set. Is like, hey, how about you show them titties? <laughs> and and she, you know, she refused. So they they had to um, they used a body double, which which when I found out was actually sad because for years I thought like, oh yeah, I knew something was up. Was uh, in the theater, the hair was just completely different. It is that's a, a body. That double. is one of those uh, shots where you need to take a shot. It's overhead, and yep. you, don't, you don't see the stuff. But you almost, you almost see her boobs in the scene, like right after they yeah. have sex, and he's like, "Boo, don't like to be touched." And they're, those things are, they're just so. There's a lot lo- of good cleavage, lovingly in draped, uh, tight with, shirts. Uh, so I can't decide if the the corn maze party is an accurate portrayal of something that kids would do after a bunch of their friends were murdered, or just a convenient slasher movie logic. We live in strange it's such a fucked times. Up time, who knows? Uh, people do dumb stuff. Um, at the time, I was like, "This makes no sense." But then watching it back uh, in the past, you know, week and a half or whatever, I, I've I was like, you know what? People would college probably, students had corona parties they, they and then did. people died from it so <laughs> so I, yeah I, it, it's probably smarter than uh, than people give it credit for time. Uh, coming in at number seven the character uh, played by Colby Johansson uh, makes a huge mistake of poking Jason in the chest while proclaiming that he wasn't invited to the rave and his head is turned completely around then in a moment of gallows humor Jason returns the poke and his body falls to the ground. I gave this a 6 out of 10. Funny kill. It's probably a little too funny, but in the moment... 6 out of 10. It, it, it was it's, mine. It's, I, I enjoyed this, uh, and I still enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, number 8, uh, uh, kind of rounding out this uh, this duo. Our next loudmouth, uh, soon to become a corpse, is played by Chris Gaither, and he plays the character uh, Shaq. And that's S-H-A-C-K, not S-H-A-Q, like Shaquille O'Neal. 
Um, Shaq is a loud mouth, uh, ends up writing a check his ass can't cash <laughs> yeah. when he throws a pitcher of Everclear, which is kicking his ass, yeah. <laughs> on Jason and proceeds to light him on fire. Uh, Jason runs away in hysterics, but he meets his better, uh, bitter end when Jason lobs his flaming machete into his back. What do you give this kill? Four out of ten. And plus, I hate that you could tell he's got a mouthful of blood waiting to spit it out. Um... And the shitty special effects of it trying to pop through, but the the mouthful of blood. I'm only giving it a four out of ten because the scene before I like it. This Everclear is kicking. Have we established that I have alcohol? I, I actually have two scores for this kill. Um, in principle, I'm giving this an eight out of ten because it visually should have been cool. In execution, I'm giving a five. Um, CGI is pretty bad, and like you said, the blood in his mouth. Um, with that being in mind, I feel like now would be as great a time as any, um, that we recreate one of the more memorable moments from Freddy vs. Jason. I think it's time for another Rance recreation. Now, you're going to be playing the role of the, uh, set, set directions and, uh, the character who didn't even get a bother of a real name. Teammate. Teammate. And I will be playing the role of Shaq. So if you would, uh... <clears throat> Jason approaches two ravers. Check this fuck... Check out this fucking guy. Well, hey, Jethro! This is a rave, not a Halloween party! Why don't you go find yourself a pig to fuck? Yeah! Invite only, corn poke, poking Jason's chest on each word, and you were invite. Jason grabs teammate's head and twists it around. Jason then pokes him in the chest and falls over dead. Son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. We'll take our we'll take our uh, roses and bows at the stage. Uh, so uh, continued with our victims, number nine and number ten. We we have a couple of nameless party goers. They're they're slashed across their chest. Um, I gave this a four out of ten. They're just there to be killed. Does this include Kegger guy? That's coming up. Okay, then yeah, four yeah four to ten. Uh, in in this whole commotion, there it is very possible there are more people who end up dead than I'm accounting for, but. Uh, I counted 21, and uh, coming in at number 11 of 21, Jason slashes another random partier on his shoulder. Then the blade passes through the victim and pierces into a keg of beer, which sprays and puts the fire on Jason out. What did you give this kill? 8 out of 10. I loved it because it was shaking and all that shit. I liked it. Uh... I rate this kill uh, slightly higher <coughs> than, than probably I should, uh, and definitely than the last two, because at the very least, it serves the purpose of, you know, beyond adding just Putting the, the fire. count. But I, but I, I gave it a five. Uh, it, the, the kill isn't what's great about it. It's the, the aftermath of the kill that I would rank oh, I, I, I genuinely like the shaking and the, the foam beer and everything spewing out. I'm, that's why I stand by my eight. So, uh, number 12, moving on. Uh, Jason impales yet another random partier with his machete. Um, the way this specific kill is edited, you only see Jason pulling the machete out of the victim, so I docked points. I gave this a 4 out of 10. Yeah, four, most of these are... Another, based, just yeah. another body count kill. Uh, coming in at 13 and 14, ja uh, Jason hacks and slashes through even more random partiers. <laughs> Uh, by, by this point, I, I'm just getting a little bored of the lack of creativity. I give this a 3 out of 10. Yeah. 
Uh, number 15, we have Bl- uh, Brendan Fletcher, who you may remember uh, from Ginger Snaps 2, starring along with uh, Catherine. Never Garrett. saw the Catherine. sequel. It's actually, it's, it's not bad, it's not bad. It plays the role of Mark. Uh, while dreaming, Mark is haunted by his dead brother, who is by, played by Zach Ward. And uh, shout out to Zach Ward. He was going to participate in our uh, uh, thing here, the retrospective. He was going to give us an intro, and through just uh, unfortunate uh, situations with his family, he wasn't able to do it. But thank you so much, Zach, for getting thank back you. to us. Uh, you may best remember him as the little, little redheaded shit in A Christmas <laughs> yeah. Story, Scott Farkas. Uh, anyways, he he's in a bathtub filled with blood. It's a you know, great visual. It's overflowing, the blood spilling out on the floor. Um, and there's like these vine blood tendrils come up and like stab into Mark's feet. Um there's my phone. That's I forgot a, I mean, to turn it off. Professional. Oh fuck you! Incapacitated, Mark is thrown into the wall by Freddy and has his back lit on fire. His face slashed. Mark's dead body is discovered smoldering from the recently put out flames, and he has been left with the inscription on his back that states "Freddy's back." What did you give this kill? I'm probably ranking this higher than I should, but considering it's Freddy's only real proper kill of the movie. I'm giving it a 9 out of 10. I gave this a 5 out of 10. I know why you do. I know every reason. I'm not even going to disagree, but I'm going to stand by my boy, Freddy. Uh, well, I don't... Uh, that's your prerogative. <laughs> uh, considering this is Freddy's moment to shine in the movie, it's pretty weak. Um, I, you can fucking do anything with dreams. I, this probably came down to budgetary constrictions, I would imagine. I, I would hope that they didn't write it this this poorly in the script, um, but you know who knows. Uh, number sixteen, Tony Willette, who plays a guard at Weston Hills, he gets squished by a big metal door off screen. What did you give this kill? Six out of ten. I just thought it was the the way he approaches the door. Then you just see it. Like yeah, six out of ten. I gave it a five out of ten. Great concept. It's uh, less than memorable in execution. Yeah. That's one of those it's things. You giggle as it happens and forget all. Yeah, about it. you know, you know it's coming. It's the anticipation of the moment that kind of makes it good. Um, and then the, them finding and, and Jason walks over yeah. the thing with him under it. Like I, 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 uh, I like that pretty well. Uh, number seventeen. In an attempt to prevent our protagonist from escaping, Jason, uh, he smashes his machete into a Weston Hills control panel, which causes Deputy Scott Stubbs, who is played by Lachlan Monroe, to be electrocuted. Uh, electrocuted. In case you're wondering where you've seen Lachlan before, well, he's in several films, uh, like Scary Movie. He was in Unforgiven with uh, Clint Eastwood, a great, great, great fucking film. Uh, and uh, more recently, he's in that uh, fucking CW abortion called Riverdale, which is uh, Twin Peaks for Idiots. Yeah. So, uh, no knock on him, but uh, Get a better show. Uh, to beat all after uh, he's electrocuted, his dead body is hurled through a door to scare the fuck out of our protagonists who are frantically searching for Hypnosil to suppress their dreams. What did you give this kill overall? Like an 8 out of 10. It was a good little memorable kill. Yeah, it was a character who'd been established. You kind of liked him. A little bit of gore effect, the, the jarring, like overall, 8 out of 10. I give this a 7 out of 10. The electricity effects are pretty good, and the burn makeup on him is pretty grody. Um, 
I don't know. And then it's just like the like you kind of said, like he's he's a character you like, and I I don't know. I it's not that it's a bad kill. I I feel like the characters that you really like should have more intimate kills. You know well, what I mean? They, they have those in this movie. Yeah, as we will talk about later, like kills you're like oh. Number 18, Discount Jason Mewes, a.k.a. Freebird, yeah. who is played by Kyle Levine, who you may have seen in Halloween Resurrection. There's another connection yeah. to Halloween Resurrection. He decides to get stoned with a terrible Alice in Wonderland-esque caterpillar uh, who is made of terrible CGI. Sometimes when you're being chased by killers, man, you just gotta get high. You just gotta relax. I think that's called the uh, the shaggy uh, the shaggy method. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Going back to uh, um, Scooby-Doo. <laughs> Uh, Caterpillar Freddy uh, jumps down the throat, uh, possessing him to pour all of Weston Hill's supply of hypnosil down the drain. In one fell swoop, Jason slashes him clear in half with a machete. But at the simultaneously, uh, because he is possessed by Freddy, he's planned ahead and has these two big syringes of uh, uh, what do you call it, tranquilizer, and just plunges it into like the traps of uh, in neck of Jason and plunges it in. Uh, what do you think about this kill? Okay, uh, this is the one I was going to talk about. You could almost attribute this one to Freddy, and I kind of want to because he's just so underrepresented murder-wise in these movies. But as a kill, it's fucking awesome. It's like an 8 out of 10, you know. I got oh, I said I, uh, I got this bitch, and then he stabs the look on Kit's face, then whack! Two fucking parts. I gave this a 9 out of 10. Oh. Um, I really like it. Um... I do kind of agree with you that you partially probably got to give credit to Freddy. He gets an assist. But it's just, it's one of the few times where it's one of those above angle camera shots and just the, the one fell swoop. It's just, it slows down enough to see the, you know, the, the bodies separating and then they fall. Like it, it was, it was shot really well. Kudos to you, Ronnie. You, you get two thumbs up on this, <laughs> on this kill. A uh, little bit of trivia about uh, discount Jason Muse. Um, his name being uh, Kyle Labine, and if that name sounds familiar, it's because he's the brother of uh, uh, another Labine boy that you may uh, be familiar with, who was in um, uh, Tucker and Dale versus Evil, being that he is uh, one of those uh, fellers. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. That's a great movie. Yeah, uh, he was also in a really, really good show uh, called Reaper, which oh, lasted yeah. two seasons. Uh, played a uh, Burt Wysocki, uh, aka Sock. But uh, yeah, he's uh, I like him a lot. I didn't know that until I did my research. So we're always learning something. Number nineteen, Lori dreams back into the night her mother was killed. Freddie stabs Lori's mother with the glove. I included this, even though like I guess it's arguable that you shouldn't because it's a, it's a you know it's a flashback, it's a but it's not a flashback to a previous movie, and it's revealing true events. Yeah, um, I gave this a six out of ten. And the reason I did, it's not a great Freddy kill, but this is my favorite line from the movie. I've always had a thing for the whores who live in this house. That's so a great good. line. So good. And it's just the way that he just deadpan says it. Because he's not really saying it for like a Freddy kind of laugh yeah. thing. It's just like he's being serious. Like, I've always had a thing for the whores who live in this house. <sighs> Two out of ten. I'm sorry. I just, I, I hate, I just didn't like it. I mean, I, the line is great. The line's a 10 out of 10. It's up there with like some of the classic Freddy lines ever. But the actual kill, 
Listen, man, I'm trying. I'm trying to. I'm trying to be positive. I know it's weird world. when you underscore something because of our overscore, and then me, I'm like, no, I'm... no. I, I, you mean you have a valid point. Uh, number twenty, we have the character of Linderman, who is played by Chris Marquette. You may have seen him in Fanboys, and more recently in the excellent HBO comedy drama Barry. Have you seen Barry? I saw like the first two episodes. I really want to. Finish oh my god, more. watch it! I love it's um... it's comedy. It's the comedy version of Dexter. It's so good. Okay, and you sold me. And Henry Winkler, who plays a, an acting coach, um, you, you will you will fall in love with his ridiculous uh, nature, and um, you know the character of Barry is. Uh, uh, th- he's almost like a guy that's lost his humanity, and he's he's slowly finding it through this acting class. But he's still murdering people on the side. <laughs> it's a really good show. Um, Linderman stabs Jason with an American flag, which uh, I I got America. I, fuck fuck yeah. yeah! I got a kick out of uh, <laughs> watching that this past week because it kind of comes out of nowhere. Um, he just kind of rushes in, and it's like the hero shot of like. Rah! Um, but he gets knocked back into a wall. He gets impaled on like a it's like a bracket for a shell. Yeah, and he slowly bleeds to death. Um, he's one of the characters that they're that the very least that they're intending you to kind of hang your hat on and care about. He's really underwritten, and he he starts off having kind of a thing for Lori, but then like. Uh, what is her character name? Uh, Kira, uh, played by Carrie, Kelly Rowland, who is a complete bitch to him, but like she starts warming up to him, and he starts kind of warming up to her, and then like they have this like emotional moment, like after you know they've kind of ran away from the the violence, and he tells her like, oh go you know get away, I'll be fine. He sinks up against a tree and just slowly dies. Um, what do you think about this kill? That's a nine out of ten. I loved it. I did feel. I mean, we're we're coming up on my ten out of ten for all the wrong reasons, <laughs> but yeah. Back in two thousand three, I I probably would have agreed with you. I don't know why, but watching it back this past week or whatever, it I don't know. It just it seemed unsatisfying, and not and not in a way that like like you're oh you're sad to see him die. It's just like really that like that's it. Um, well, he lived his life like a bitch, and he bleeds <laughs> out like a bitch. It makes sense. It's okay, well that's, character. A ten, well, that's a ten out of ten. Yeah. Then. Uh, I gave it a four out of ten, and I don't know. That's a, probably a perspective thing more than uh, you know an actual ranking. That's just how I felt at the time I watched it. This most recent viewing, number twenty one, we have Kira, who is played by Kelly Rowland, gets a machete to the torso that propels her so hard that she smashes into a tree. What do you ten out of ten? It's the setup. It's the satisfying. Other reasons I dislike this person. I want to see them die. It's her talking shit the whole time, and then pretty just. <laughs> oh, we're we're going to we're going to talk about that in just one moment. Oh. I I gave this a six out of ten. I I don't care for Kelly Rowland. Her being cast in this movie was an obvious stunt casting. Stunt casting. You know, because like we got to put something in there for the kids because they like Destiny's Child, and, and it's like 
I guarantee you, I guarantee you, Kelly Rowland did not add one fucking dollar to the, <coughs> to the profit of this movie. I, I can guarantee you that there was no person that's like, oh, I like Destiny's Child. I'm going to check this out. Exactly. Because they wouldn't have checked this movie out. Whether the Venn diagram for Destiny Child's fans who aren't all about Beyonce <laughs> and slasher movie fans doesn't have a big cross section. It has about like a, a big gap in it. With that like being Kelly said, um, there are a couple couple of things I do want to talk about with her character. Uh, before Freddy is able to uh, restore his killing abilities, she has a dream sequence when Lori passes oh, out yeah. of school, and she kind of you know she's like daydreaming, I guess, and she's reading one of those like uh, glamour magazines and uh, about nose jobs, and Freddy rips her nose off, and it's the worst. Got your nose. CGI, and that that of all the CGI in this movie, that's that the is the worst example of it. And furthermore, that's something they could have done so much more effectively with practical effects. And it kind of ruins this. Like it's that's one of the few moment, first moments you get like a you're in a Freddy nightmare, one of those reality. Because as she's looking at the magazine, it starts showing more and more graphic. Uh, surgery pictures, yeah. and it's very much in, on brand with like a good, oh shit, I'm really dreaming, and thought I was in reality fr- Friday setup to go, got your nose! Well, you mean not Nightmare on Nightmare Elm Street, yes, I'm but, sorry. But I know, I agree I agree with you. Um, the other aspect that we have to talk about with the Kira character is her verbally dressing down of Freddy. Not so much that she's verbally dressing him down, but there is a specific line of dialogue that has been reevaluated as controversial. Now, it was controversial back then, specifically because screenwriters Mark Swift and Damian Shannon didn't write this line of dialogue in the screenplay. It was ad libbed by Kelly Rowland. Oh no, no. But I think uh, I th- I'm not sure if that was written either. But that was good. That was good. But. Um, uh, Freddie is called uh, the F word, <laughs> and, oh, and not yeah. F U C K. Um, it rhymes with maggot, and uh, she that was entirely off the cuff. It wasn't so much a big deal back in two thousand three. I know the sensibilities have completely changed, but this is a line that uh, definitely doesn't work in the political sociological. If you're climate. in a life and death situation, having witnessed multiple people getting killed. And you intentionally want to upset a serial of an extra supernatural serial murderer, and you an f word slips out. It's okay. We don't have to cancel. It's not appropriate. You should use better terms. Oh, listen, I I one hundred percent am not insinuating that anybody should go to Kelly Rowland and be like, you call somebody. Uh, a, a, a homosexual, a derogatory uh, term for homosexuals, and therefore uh, you need to be condemned. No, because some of my favorite movies of all time are the you, worst. Are the worst. This is fiction. Um, and but, she's actually talking about a bundle of sticks used for burning because of Freddy's burnt appearance. True, very true. That, that that's something our uh, friends across the pond will get, or perhaps uh, do they say that, say that in Ireland? Say, Oh. They say that in Ireland. Maybe hey, we have a we have a huge following. In Ireland. Shout out to Ireland, uh, Dublin, Lancaster. I'm probably mispronouncing that. We get Shout out our friends. We get a boost in this episode from there. I'll bring over some Irish whiskey for us to do shots with God, next time. God damn right. Some fucking Jameson. Um. So, anyways, Kelly Rowland. As much as I don't really care for Destiny's Child or 
or her. Um, it, it doesn't. It doesn't. It's a line that doesn't work in 2020. But let's not you throw the baby out with the bathwater. It it was a different time. Uh, let's rush through our additional cast real quick. Uh, playing Dr. Campbell, who is Lori's father, we have Tom Butler. Uh, he's a very successful character actor. He's got over 150 credits. Most recently, he was in the Sonic movie. I haven't seen it. I've heard uh, fairly decent things about it, uh, like Ben Schwartz. So good on them. I'm glad it was successful, considering that the fans had a fucking uh, conniption fit when Sonic didn't look right, and then they uh, caused them to have like you know millions, millions of dollars of reshoots. reshoots. Um, so they were, I'm glad that they backed up that because if they had made them spend all that money and then didn't go see it, like, that's what I hate about like, uh, no. Twitter mob of like, uh, mm. complaining about shit that you weren't going to do. So good on them for actually Making supporting the movie. Yeah. Uh, in the role of Mrs. Voorhees for the period of time you see her on here, you have, uh, Paula Shaw. Now she's been in everything from Reindeer Games with Ben Affleck to Savage Streets with Linda Blair. Um, which is a terrific movie. Uh, Show them titties. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Then that's that's one of the good Linda Blair movies. <laughs> um, I, I think Danny Steinman directed that movie, and he's also the director of Friday Thirteenth Part Five. I didn't. I don't have that in my notes. That's just me no. uh, connecting dots. Um, if I'm wrong about that, uh, I need to look that up. Best pair of tits in the entire Friday the Thirteenth series: a chick from Part Five who takes the fucking uh, Deborah Voorhees. That's yeah. right. Oh man, he loved he loved to, he loved boobies. He's dead now. Yeah, but he died. Like, he died. Man. He died the way he lo- he lived, loving boobies. Um, <laughs> a little bit of trivia. Um, now I was lucky enough uh, to get to interview Betsy Palmer uh, for a newspaper article. Oddly enough, way way before this podcast was ever you know conceived. And I've talked about it a little bit before in our Friday the 13th Part 1 episode. Um, but one of the things that she personally told me is that, because uh, I kind of asked her off the cuff after the interview, it's like, you know, like, why why were you never, you know, in the series past that point? Like, especially Freddy versus Jason, which was, the at that point, the most recent film. And she flat out told me that they offered her the role, but they really lowballed her on you know, what she's going to be paid. They basically going to offer a scale, which I, I don't know if it's any different now, but it used to be like, I think it's like $700,000 per, per day. No, and her no. scene would have been like one day, one day. And she wouldn't have got any, uh, uh back end on that. Like it wouldn't no, have made a lot they, of sense for her. And, uh, she makes fuck what well, she made rest in peace. Buku's money out on the con circuit. So, I mean, like that's, that's the amount of money she'd make. You know, in and a day, on a catacomb. Yeah. So, I it would have been really nice for continuity's sake to have her come back full circle. And she was kind of wishy washy over the years about yeah. how she felt about the series. Uh, she called the script of the first movie a piece of shit. But she she said uh, before she died, she's like, you know, well maybe I was wrong because of all the things I've done. You know, working with all these legendary actors, this is the thing that people remember me for. So, yeah. you know, beauty's in the eye of the beholder, and I guess that comes to film as well. I mean, we, we're defenders oh, of, yeah, uh, of schlock cinema. Uh, and in the role of Sheriff Williams, you have Gary Chalk. Um, Transformers fans will best remember him as the voice of Optimus Primal in the Transformers spinoff, Beast Wars. Um, Not after my, my time. After my time as well. Don't talk about bad CGI. I thought he really just mispronounced Optimus Prime until he said the spin-off. No, he's a monkey. <laughs> he's a, not a monkey, but a gorilla that changes mm. into a robot. And, and in that version... Everybody knows robots only transform into either a gun or other vehicles. <laughs> what about the Dinobots? They're dinosaurs. Well, that's different. 
I don't know. Get the fuck out of my house. <laughs> uh, in the role of young Jason Voorhees, we have Spencer Stump. Uh, to date, this is his only on-screen film role. However, as of 2020, he is slated to appear in a TV series called Fabulous. No clue what it's about. There was n- literally no information about this other than a solitary IMDb credit saying that it was in production. So good on him. Hope he's successful. And I'm going to mispronounce this name uh, up front uh, because it's uh, there's a lot of umlauts and shit on it. Uh, the, the little girl from Freddy's Dream at the very beginning of the movie that has yeah. her eyes uh, removed. Joel Anto- Antonissian. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. She only has a few credits to her name, and her only other appearance of note was in a small role in the Dead Zone series, mm. uh, the one that USA but produced. She, she got to be molested and murdered by Freddy, so, you know, that's the height of... <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Thankfully, it wasn't Jeffrey Epstein she had to deal with, well, you know, just, just Freddy Krueger. By the way, who did not kill himself. Uh, just for oh, the, damn just it, for I the, meant Harvey the, uh, fucking Weinstein. Oh, they're all connected. They're all, they're all connected. Yeah. All them Steins. <laughs> Frankenstein. Wait a second, I think we're going to... <laughs> we're going down the wrong path here. I didn't say Stein. Don't, don't, okay. you, don't you throw... <laughs> How we're dare not anti-Semitic you? at all here. No, no, no. Um, a little bit of general trivia. Now, reportedly, the lake that they used for Crystal Lake in the movie, at the very end of the movie, and like I said, the beginning... Um, they were also filming the final scenes for X-Men 2 there at the very same time. And the two film cast uh, even stayed in the same hotel. Now, uh, Ken Kurzinger did uh, effects on, not effects, but fuck, uh, stunts, stunts on X-Men 2. So I'm wondering if, uh, if he was doing these movies both simultaneously. Uh, if so, like, that's gotta be fucking yeah. rough. <laughs> because um, that day uh, shoots for X-Men night shoots for Jason. Yeah. I mean, which basically leaves you no time to recharge your batteries. That's why God made cocaine, baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. It's still a lot cheaper in, in Canada too. <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> um, and Canadian, uh, Coke dealers take debit cards apparently. Oh, well that's very, that from a friend of mine in Canada. That's very kind of them. Uh, according to Ken Kurzinger, the hardest thing he went through uh, performing as Jason was sinking into the lake at the end of the movie. Yeah. Uh, Ronnie, you shot the scene in a tank. They actually weren't in the you know, yeah. lake for so they could get clearer shots under it. Um, but it was highly chlorinated, uh, to, so for safety Thank reasons. Yeah. And Ronnie insisted that he needed close-up <laughs> shots of Ken's left eye being open. So after take after take after take of him sinking in the water, the chlorine was so strong that it, it like burned his eyes really badly. So yet again, working you know day and night, and you, know, you can't fucking see, and then his other eyes covered. I mean, fuck, that's fuck. a that's a that's a whole can of worms that I wouldn't want to find myself in. Um, this was the first uh, of any of the Freddy films not to be filmed in the United States. This caused the filmmakers to have to search for a new house that would resemble the. Elm Street house. Did you did you realize while watching the movie that this was not the same house? I did not realize it wasn't fourteen twenty eight Elm Street. The as far as the seeing it in the theater, I didn't realize how independent of me doing this research, rewatching it. I'm like, well, that ain't right because um, I had just watched. Um, I want to say it was a part three, uh, probably I don't know, maybe two weeks before, and it was like, wait a minute. That, there's something wrong here. So I looked it up and I'm like, yep, not the same house. 
And that, incidentally, that's how I found out they shot in fucking Canada. I'm fucking leaving. I'm done. God you shattered damn, the illusion. Goddamn Canadians. <clears throat> um, you know how I told you that uh, one of you saw this film sort of as like a WWE kind of thing? Yeah. Well, we have the interaction with a WWE legend, or really just wrestling legend, Rey Mysterio, who is one of Robert England's stunt doubles. Oh, shit. So, in the in the scenes where, like... Uh, I, I, and he's getting I, the shit beat out of Well, him. the scenes where, like, he's, like, leaping and stuff, like, that's evidently him. I don't know 100% sure, but I'm fairly certain the part where... He comes out of the lake. Comes out of the lake. Freddy. That, that is the, uh, him doing that. Um, I didn't talk about this a little earlier, but let's inject this real quick. That's, fuck, that's the best Freddy looks in the movie. Oh, I love Demon Freddy. Demon Freddy. How fucking cool is that? And yet another, uh, instance where Ronnie, you absolutely nailed the aesthetic. Oh, yeah. Because the the dreamlike quality and the the razor teeth and the, the makeup was very cool. NECA? We need a Demon Freddy figure now. Yes. Not yesterday. Now. Get to work on that. You've made every fucking other one. We need Demon Freddy. Uh, around the 26-minute mark in the film, you can actually spot Evangeline Lilly, who is best known as Hope Van Dyne, in the massively successful Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. She plays the Wasp. Um, she's a girl in the crowd at the school wearing a jacket with green sleeves. Uh, I'm yes. guessing she, I'm guessing she's Canadian. It was probably just like you need background people and got so got a couple hundred bucks to do an extra work. Fuck. So yeah, that's, I mean it's crazy how many people you just see background uh, who actually go end up becoming something. So good, good on her. She she probably doesn't have this on her uh, no, resume. No, she of doesn't bother grades. with this. Um, Ken Kersinger had to go under uh, undergo some dental work during filming. So not only is he doing two movies stunt work, but uh, he also gets some uh, dental work done. He's definitely on cocaine. That just yeah. seals the deal. And uh, his appointment <coughs> was such that he didn't have time to like get out of the the costume. So he oh, showed up great. like you know with just the cowl, the face cut yeah. out, but you know all the other you know co- costume on, and like the people were kind of like freaked out because. You know, why don't just go in there and say, hey, I, we're making Freddy vs. Jason. Don't get freaked out. I'm not some weird person. I would love to do that and not explain anything. And well, act like they're the way. maybe maybe that's what he He's was. He was, he was getting off on it. He he was riding that cocaine high. He's like, they, <laughs> they think I'm crazy. He would do me the ground and just like, yeah, like they don't know. Um, if you had to guess how many times Freddy Krueger says the word bitch in this movie, what would you? 27. <laughs> You'd be way off. <laughs> oh. He says bitch six times. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I agree. I'm very underwhelmed by the bitch quote quota in, the, in this <sighs> film. Uh, there needs to be a bit, like, you know how they're in slasher movie terms, there should be a kill every ten minutes. There needs to be a bitch every, every five two. minutes. Two minutes, fine. Two I, minutes. I think the, every, uh, even if it's a scene without the killer, just have him pop up. Bitch! <laughs> just in the background, bitch. Bitch. <laughs> um... During the reshoots uh, that were made late into production, Ken Kersinger wasn't available to shoot, so the producers, they used their second choice to play Jason, who still wasn't Kane Carter, no, no, by the way. He still got fucked. Um, a gentleman by the name of Douglas Tate to film the scenes where Jason emerges from the water holding Freddy's head. Great fucking scene. I, we mentioned it a little earlier. Um, I want to give a little bit of a shout out to Vincent DeSanti for uh, never hiking the snow. The original 
idea for that movie is Douglas Tate was going to play Jason in this movie, and I'm guessing because of like Corona uh, running wild, they weren't able to do it because they had to postpone uh, yeah. filming and stuff. Um, but I would have liked to have seen like what he could do because I mean he's on screen so little time, but I, in that moment I'm like, wow, that he looks cool. So yeah. uh, my favorite moment of the movie. So, we've got a few uh, questions, uh, one of which is going to be uh, music-related. Uh, I know this was something that you actually we talked about. We actually, yeah, no, you going to mention it. So, I, was gonna, I had this as an entirely different section, yeah. and I cut it out to accommodate this question. So, you're welcome. But first question comes up from our buddy Stank Dick Eddie. Why does Jason Go to Hell get so much hate, but this pile of shit doesn't? <sighs> Because Jason goes to hell, like I talked about earlier, it took risk, and really, at the end of the day, this didn't, so it, it appealed to a broader audience than Jason Goes to Hell did. Well, Jason is only in Jason Goes to Hell, really, like, Jason's the beginning of the presence is felt in every frame. I agree. I feel his presence in movies he wasn't even in. Like, <laughs> Remains of the Day, so much better when Jason's <laughs> presence is there, but... Um, Jason's only at the beginning and the end of Jason Goes to Hell. You get Jason throughout the entire entirety of this movie, and I guess the the thing that the framework we have to put this in is that Freddy versus Jason is not a horror movie. It's not attempting to be a horror movie. This is an, an, event, an, movie. an, an event movie, or really, I mean, it almost is an action movie. Yeah. And in those terms, I guess it is satisfying for the its intended goal. Now, if this movie had been made in 1987 or 88. It would have been a completely different movie, and it certainly wouldn't be as grand. Um, and it would probably be nostalgic simply from the fact that hey, something look we what would, they tried back in the day. Yeah, but cocaine's a hell of a drug. I don't, I don't know that it would have been any no. any better. And another thing, just real quickly, Freddy vs. Jason doesn't have those lame ass styrofoam hands that just flop around <laughs> at the end of the. And I love Jason hey, goes to hell. K and B did fun. excellent work on that movie, but those those hands are pretty bad. Yeah. Um, they actually made an entire a miniature for that final sequence, and they ended up not using it because it looked so bad. And I, I think that those were uh, last minute, like, okay, oh, well, shit, we, 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 have, we need something that's like full size because this miniature is not going to work. Uh, next question. This comes from Josh Hans. Shout out to Josh Hans. He was once on the news um, wearing a I ass t-shirt. That's his uh, internet <laughs> claim to fame. So thank you, Josh, for your uh, your submitted question. Why did they make it seem like there was going to be a sequel and never make it? I mean, Jason carrying Freddy's head and Freddy winking at the camera. It makes it seem like there was definitely a sequel in the works. But 17 years later, I'm still confused about that short interaction. The simple answer is that they definitely wanted to do one. Uh, it's just, you know, rights and deciding on who, who gets what percentage of what. And uh, we didn't really... Uh, talk too much about the the Freddy versus Jason versus Ash, but that was what was proposed, yeah. and the holdup in that was that Sam Raimi they had meetings with him, and he uh, he just you know was kind of reluctant about it, and, and probably rightly so. Although in my mind, like on paper, how how could this have not been great? And adding adding Ash to the mix, I think actually like would make me enjoy the kind of more let's not take it seriously aspect. Yeah. So that I there's still talks like that they want to do a Freddy versus Jason movie now. If they do, it's not gonna be Robert England or you know Kevin Bacon. <laughs> Robert England wants Kevin Bacon to do it. I dude 
I'm totally on board for that. Did you ever see, uh, uh fuck, what is it called? Uh, uh, the Woodsman? The Woodsman, yes. He plays, uh... Jack Earl Haley had another movie where he played a fucking kitty yeah, fucker, too. Little, little children. It's a good Actually, I've actually got both of those movies. They're, yeah. they're, they're both terrific. Um, with, with the proper writer, either one of those guys would be terrific yeah. as Freddy. So, uh, that's not a knock on them, but, I mean, the, the Shadow of... of I want Robert. Gary Busey as Freddy Krueger. God damn right. She said, that's a billion dollars. I'm Freddy Krueger. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I will literally rip out your endocrine system with my razor glove. <laughs> uh, and then have Randy Quaid as Jason. Oh my God. They're trying to kill the celebrities. Asylum. <laughs> Guys, Asylum, we pitched up. a movie to you earlier. Here's your principal cast. <laughs> Oh fuck! Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm sad that they, like they didn't get a sequel because I, I really feel like that they, they there was fertile ground to continue on just of you know ridiculousness. I mean, if that's the direction they're gonna go, go full bore and and just give us over the top nostalgia for the sake of nostalgia. But it didn't happen, and who knows? Maybe twenty years from now. Uh, you know, be nostalgic enough and they'll be hard enough, enough for they'll make a deal. Only time will tell. All right. I saved this question. It's a question I had in my, my notes to be answered. Um, but this one is the, the most obvious one. This comes from Michael Williams. The question everyone always asks, who won? Fat Tony, who do you think okay. wins? Well, first off, the viewing audience won. But you have to, you have to, I mean, we we got to watch it, but you have to view it this way. If you view it as a war, there was no winner, but in the battle, at the end of the day, Freddie didn't get to kill Tina, Laura, Laura. he didn't get to kill her. Jason stopped that, pulled him into the lake. Yeah, he's not completely dead, but it's... By points, uh, judge's decision after the last round, Jason. Um, uncontested, my answer is Jason, and I, I won't put it into philosophical terms, but he has his entire body left, stands yeah. a couple of fingers. Freddie Freddy has his arm removed and his head uh, taken off. So, uh, by that... And impaled on his own fucking arm. Yeah, well, that, that was cool. That was very cool. That was a great one. Um, now, to be fair, Lori is the one who, you know, w- lops his head off, but, I mean, it's Jason walking out of the lake uh, with that head. Now, the question being from that point is, is Jason back into some kind of, like, purgatory, purgatory and, and, and this is a dream? I've had a theory about this. I don't think it's a dream. I think if Jason isn't actively stopped between kills, like, just use a Never Hike in the Snow. If that cop hadn't come and disturbed his weird vision quest, that's how he enters purgatory again. And he's dead and inert and has, needs some kind of stimulus. He would have tooled around. I actually really like that. That's, that's, You're I really, a smart man. I thought of that. Uh, watching that, I'm like, you know, they've never really looked at it from his perspective and what's going on. And maybe that's how he goes back into hibernation, as it were. I think that's what would happen. Well... Um, After he definitely fucked Freddy's severed corpse's throat, <laughs> he has a thing the for severed. At the he has yeah. a thing for severed heads. His look, mother's. Mama, you proud? Kiss, Mama. <laughs> I got a daddy now. Aww. Yeah. 
Oh, poor little kid wasn't loved by his daddy. Um, uh, yeah, the the whole thing about him being in purgatory or whatever, uh, that's an interesting direction to take. And it, it lends a lot more credence than making the argument that Freddy won. But until someone comes out with concrete evidence, I'm going to disregard that. Because there was a comic series that it was like a, a limited run. And it takes place right after Freddy vs. Jason. And if they had done a Friday the 13th movie based around this, there was actually a really fun idea to kind of do almost a cabin in the woods kind of meta take on the whole thing. So because of all the construction, the FBI is kind of back on the case and they have this uh, idea of like, well, how do we stop Jason? Well, first of all, we got to lure him out. Well, what lures him out? Well, we got to have kids. So they have like, they have all these like kids from like they basically have no families and they've round them up under the Jesus. Gu- under the <laughs> under the guise of like coming to this camp and being like counselors or whatever, but they're all like uh, they've all been like scientifically scientifically formulated to like well this person is going to hook up with this person because they're their type and they all gather together and when they start fucking Jason's like nope <laughs> and he just <laughs> he starts you know coming through it and it starts an FBI sting but this was supposed to bridge the gap between basically how he gets captured leading into Jason X, which, you know, for where, you know, whether you like it or not, but that would have been, yeah, it would have been I, kind of a cool idea. Cool. But, uh, so my, my final decision, Jason won, but, uh, you know, in spirit only, not in, you yeah. know, he didn't win the, he didn't, he didn't win, win the war. war. Our uh, next question comes from Mark Small. My question is that Hellraiser is better than both Freddy and Jason. Do you think it will ever get the remakes that Freddy and Jason got? Isn't HBO doing a show? I've heard that there is a television show in uh, in the works. You also have to take in consideration that um, lots of stuff goes Cl- into the work. Clive Barker has yeah. been attempting to I get the uh, the rights back for quite some time, and uh, if you're what you're saying is correct, yeah. then then he has got them back. I haven't kept up with it. But, uh, yeah, I, the last Hellraiser movie was actually not that per, bad. was pretty good, and there was a sequel planned for it on a super low budget, and I, the, uh, Gary Turncliffe, I think is his name, uh, his script was, uh, interesting, the, the premise, um, but, uh, from my understanding, uh, they have to produce some, a movie and, and I'm, or I guess a show would constitute, uh, they have to produce a product in a certain amount of time, otherwise the rights will revert. And I guess the, uh, either I might Clive be mistaken, got it. but I think, I think Clive Barker did get the rights back to, they need to make a movie of the book he wrote, Killing Off Pinhead. He wrote a book. The Scarlet, Blood, Go- Scarlet Gospels. Gospels. Yeah. Fucking amazing. Well, the, the, he fights the devil at the end. And, and the the thing about and like the the Hellbound Heart, the, the novella, is that Pinhead. Pinhead it's is a, a chick. Is a and chick, a small character. and uh, it's it's a really it's a really good book, especially if you're reading it all the S and M subtext and stuff. Mm, but Kathy Bates and S and M, I've just had a buzz <laughs> this whole time. Praise the Lord. <laughs> That was intentional, uh, by the way. God damn it, you laugh at my joke. I'm hour, sorry, hour. I was too busy just thinking about her putting hooks through my nuts. Um, so anyways, Mark, um, give it time. Uh, Pinhead will, will rise. He will rise from again. From the Leviathan. 
Uh, our final question comes from Allison Hunt, and this is the one I alluded to. Yeah. How do you guys feel about the Freddy vs. Jason soundtrack? I'm going to read off real quick the, the songs on here, and then we'll kind of hit the ground running from there. Uh, number one, can't, How Can I Live by Il Nino. Number two, When Darkness Falls by Killswitch Engage. Number three, Beginning of the End by Spineshank. Number four, Sun Doesn't Rise by Mushroom Head. Number five, Condemn Until Birth by Hatebreed. Number six, Snap by Slipknot. Number seven, Army of Me by uh, Chimera. Number eight, The After Dinner Payback from Autumn to Ashes. Uh, Number nine, Leech by Seven Dust. Number ten, Bombshell by Powerman5000. Number eleven, Welcome to the Strange by Murder Dolls. Number twelve, Out of My Way by Seether. Number thirteen, Inside the Cynic. Or is that supposed to be Clinic? I may have uh, miswrote that. Inside the Cynic, or Clinic, whichever it is, by Stone Sour. Uh, Swinging the Dead by Devil Driver. The Waste by Sepultura featuring Mike Patton. I will say right up front, that's a good song. I can't say much about the other ones because half these I don't remember. Uh, Middle of Nowhere by The Blank Theory. Uh, Number 17, uh, Ether or Ether by Nothing Face. Uh, 18, Trigger by In Flames. 11th Hour by... Lamb of God, which is a great song too, uh, is number 19. And the final track is We Were Electrocuted by Typo Negative. Um, I like it. I know you're one of shit. You're not a new metal guy. I actually bought this at CD Swap Shop for like $2. And about 40 to 50% of it's good enough for me to like put on while I'm driving. It's not like, oh my God, I love it. I would rather a song have... This kind of soundtrack, then some kind of like pop bullshit. I really hacked. Oh hate. no, no! I they that was a conscious decision uh, to pander a little more to the, the listening audience. There's a big crossover time. in metal and horror, uh, fans. which is surprising. Like, why isn't there a Destiny's Child? Uh, fucking, uh, they you know, couldn't so- afford that. I, even in the- should have wrote it into her contract. I'm glad they didn't. Um, I, I like some of these bands, like Lamb of God, obviously, um, I like Hatebreed. Actually, the most violent concert I've ever been to was Hatebreed. That was fucking, was that the uh, one, with God what? Forbid? Yes, yeah. Uh, fuck yeah, oh my god. Five uh, people got kicked out at the beginning of the concert with the opening bands in 20 <laughs> seconds. These people punching people in the back of the head, like, I love metal, bam! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Paramount 5000, they're alright, I saw I like, Bombshell is my favorite Paramount song, though. So, um, eh, I like it. I'm... He's a he's younger than me, but he's a he's a metal wise. He's he's grandpa metal. Definitely, I definitely am. Uh, no argument there. Where's the Man of War and the Saxon on this soundtrack? Hey man, fuck you. I, I ain't shitting on Man of War or uh, Saxon. Heavy metal or no metal metal at all. <laughs> Wimps and posers leave the hall. <laughs> heavy metal. <clears throat> Mark Adams and Man of War. Uh, all right, I think that's gonna that's gonna bring us to a close. So let's just uh, let's do a recap real quick. Closing arguments: uh, Freddy versus Jason, good or bad? Fucking great. And if you don't agree with me, suck my Kathy Bate tortured balls. <laughs> I'm gonna say uh, uh, good with a caveat of its intended yeah. genre. As a horror film, this is among <clears throat> the worst. Yeah, hey, I, I have to agree. But you said as a you know, but as a as a form of just uh, mindless fun. entertainment for fun, throw everything against the wall. I love this movie, oh, yeah. but this definitely 
Uh, if I were to rank my Nightmare and uh, Friday the 13th movies, it is going to be lower on the end. But with so many entries, I mean, something's got to be there. I love them all, but... I still but, say this is better than Jason Takes Manhattan. We'll have that discussion someday. Um, I think that's going to wrap us up for another month. We'll be back in December for another movie retrospective. The Rants from the Black Lodge podcast can be found on a multitude of platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Google Podcasts, and all the others. So please go give us a sub, like, comment, and all that good stuff. You can find us on social media at Rants Black Lodge. And please, that includes our Facebook page. We're nearing uh, the tipping point, closer to 3,000 members in our Facebook group. So please come and join. We have a lot of uh, content specific for there, so please come and join. And obviously, Twitter and everybody blow up the page to get him to watch the Evil Dead remake. Yeah, suck it. Uh, check us out on our homepage at juicykruger.com. And for the love of Cthulhu, go buy a goddamn t shirt or a mug from our web store at rantarmy.com. For Fat Tony, this is Brandon A. Lane signing off. Till no- next month, Rant Army, keep marching.